0: The Carl Nelson show.
1: You rocking with the most awesomeest. All right, let's go.
2: Garden. Thanks for starting your day with us again. Later, physician, scientist, Dr. Velvet Bowles returns to our classroom. Now, Dr. V will discuss her recent United Nations experience and also her continued fight for social justice. Before Dr. Vito, Baton Rouge-based attorney, Ryan Thompson will talk about a new law enforcement regulation in his city that he says demeans alleged black suspects. For Attorney uh, Thompson, though, members of the team fighting to save a black Bethesda, Maryland cemetery will update us on their fight. But to get us started this morning, Haitian activist Dr. Jude Azard is here. Sac passe, my brother. Dr. Azard. good morning. Welcome back to the program.
3: Good morning, Brother Nelson. It's great to see being with you.
2: All right, Dr. Zah, let's get straight to it. A lot of reports coming out of Haiti about the arrest of the wife of the prime minister. What do you know? What can you share with us?
1: Well, uh
3: well, what we well we've gathered so far, I mean, late uh, so far is that uh, the the uh, widow of the late Haitian President Jovenel Moise has been indicted. Uh in on a. In a 122-pages document, George Walter Voltaire uh, actually uh, pointed finger at the the former First first Lady. Uh, Among others, she's not the only uh, person, official, former official, being uh, indicted there. We have to mention uh, that among them also is the former chief of police, uh, under Jovenel Moise, uh, Mr. Uh, Leon Charles, and also the former Prime Minister of Haiti, uh, it's also indicted. So there is a lot on the table, <laughs> a lot to digest here, uh, a lot of point, finger pointing. So not sure uh, where's that leading, in a place where there is no elected officials. And uh, and that the pe- the people of Haiti is living an egregious uh, uh, situation. So um, yeah, where's that going to lead? It's uh, it's a question that we all have.
2: Well, you know, you mentioned there's no structure, no, no uh, I guess no educational, no political structure in Haiti. So how did these charges filed? I guess the justice system is still up and running, then, correct?
3: Or you would say, I mean, that it all depends who you ask at this point, okay? So um, if you ask certain people, they'll tell you, well, at least the average Haitian would, would look and, you know, there's some um, people who who actually surprised by such movement. Uh, it's a movement. It's a really, really uh, wide-range movement there, if you wish. Uh, that, because nothing is functioning in Haiti, and for that to happen, uh, now you're going to understand why some people also suggest that it might be, uh, just might, maybe, a whitewash uh, move by the de facto prime minister, uh, so to some sort of distraction from reality, the egregious uh, situation that the people are living in. So. Again, there's a lot of questions that bring more questions to the table, uh, more than answers. But again, it's that it is to be uh, it's, it's a wait and see situation. Where's it going to lead? Not sure.
2: Could it be just a, a distraction from what's really going on in Haiti?
3: Well, you, you, uh, that's the idea. That's what most people, uh, especially in the not only not only in Haiti but also outside of the country uh with a criminalistic mind think uh because considering that the, and again it, there, it's not only it's not only um distraction but it's also it can be also seen as a recrimination recrimination uh i'm sorry for, for uh for uh, because Remember, the, the current de facto prime minister was also uh, subject to investigation at some point. Uh, people, a lot of people, have pointed finger at him being uh, some sort of uh, actionaire, if you will, someone who actually participated in the killing of the late president. So, with that, with such investigation now uh accusing the former former officials. Uh it looks like as I said they requirement mission.
2: Yeah and let me ask you uh, this six after the top the hour though, Dr. azad uh, she was also wounded during that the attack that killed her husband. Is it is it is it plausible for us to believe that she got wounded, she got she took a, a, a bullet to her arm because she was part of that, that plot to assassinate her, her husband? Is that what they're trying well, to tell us to believe?
3: Well, basically, that that's bas- that, uh, the, the 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 idea that the first lady, the former first lady, that is, uh, is being this not a big surprise to lots of Asians. Uh, okay, so a lot of people had questions. Even the, the, the people with no background in investigation had their own questions. Um, and, and they'll tell you. I mean what just happened there imagine that the night of the 6th to the 7th of, Ju- of july 21 remember the people that actually uh, went in and killed the president had little to no resistance i'd say no resistance at all just walk in and kill them so now when it comes to first lady uh later was told to be <clears throat> to be actually a victim. Not only she lost her husband, but also also um, injured herself to gunshot wound. Uh, was treated in Florida <clears throat> and subsequently, you know, went back to Haiti to her husband's funeral. A few interviews that she's given, uh, uh, she's stated that the. Perpetrators, those who actually financed that coup or the killing, or at large. What does she know? Who does—and an and, and, and interview, accord, I mean, uh, given to CNN at some point uh, during that time, she she also said, stated she was told—she was asked if she know of anybody. Uh, due to the investigation, quote, due to the investigation, she don't want to say. Don't want to say much in a quote so uh, for such person and a really in a, in a state of law and a you know country where law is in action of course you would want to question someone like that maybe in that and that not that in that level being indicted but this is someone you want to talk with uh, there are some informations that she has although the paper uh, the paper, the 122 pages, in that document, the judge also said that Mrs. Maurice stated that she was on the floor at some point under the bed. But when when investigating and when looking at the bed, and the judge also suggested that not even a big rat would be able to, to fit under that bed. So, uh, now is there questions there? Well, there might be. Uh, Do you want to speak with someone like that? I think so. But as far as indictment concerned at this point, bringing her in as 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 a accomplice to the killing of her husband, again, some people believe that it's a requirement. And when you're thinking about a government that the people, I mean. prime minister that the government, the people of Haiti really want to get rid of, um, while we're talking, while we're talking, uh, the, the, this administration, the current administration, um, is planning on building quite a few schools, like 20 schools. That's that's what it said last, last week. 20 schools around the, 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 the capital city. And looking at it closer, and a closer look at that uh uh ambition that he has you you'd ask yourself Where are you doing this and the current school system cannot even function. you're gonna build twenty schools and where he is he gonna build the schools around the gang controlled areas so again uh is that for the first lady um liable Is she involved? That's a question that a lot of people have. But, and now, how do you come to a conclusion to this? It's up to the judge. And again, a judge that is functioning in a place where there is no functioning government, no official, no elected officials. So um, it's hard to tell where or even giving credit. Full credit to this investigation, but it can be a legitimate investigation. But at the same time, it can be, uh, keep in mind, it can be, requirement.
2: Well, well, let me jump here and ask you this, though, uh, doctors. Uh, does she have? Does she has? Does she have a, a lot of followers in Haiti on the island? Are they still behind her? Uh, uh, those who, who support her husband, or, or are they been uh, sort of mystified now that she's been accused of being part of that plot to assassinate her husband?
3: Well, I'm not sure if she's popular in Haiti, uh, because they were never popular. Uh, keep in mind that Joffin al is himself, uh, during the last two years, he, he, you know, it he, he was very chaotic. And I had, and, and his wife would, tell, would say that during the interview, that her husband, quote, had lots of enemies, known enemies, end quote. So, I don't know about her being popular, uh, there might be some sympathy because someone lost if someone very dear to them, very close to them. But now, of course, with that indictment, that's going to bring more. You know, uh, a lot of people are going to be looking at her that already had, they've already seen her like that, as in someone they think uh, they might might need to be questioned. Now that's complete their their uh, idea that she might be involved. So a lot of people are anxious to see what's coming out of this. But then again, it might be a whitewash white of this administration.
2: Yeah, hold that thought right there, Doctor Zard. We gotta take a short break. Family, just joined us. 13 after the top there with ha- uh, Haitian actress Doctor Judith is here. We're discussing the, the the I guess the indictment of the uh, prime the president's wife as part of a, an assassination team that killed her husband. And we're gonna find out when we come back. Talk her about some security issues because Benin and uh, and another country, African country, are thinking about sending troops into Haiti. Want to get his, his idea, his thoughts on that, and also why there was no security. You mentioned there's no security. The, the Night when the, the president was assassinated. What was that all about? Maybe Dr. Zad can uh, shed some light on that for us. Folks, you want to join this conversation? Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV or on FM 95.9 at AM 1450, WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again family 20 minutes after the top of the hour. our guest is Haitian activist dr. Jude Azad bringing us up to date what's going on on the island right there right now uh, the the wife and this is the latest the wife of uh, the president of Haiti has been indicted on as part of the the part of the coup plan i guess group who who killed her her husband trying to take over the country and we're going to get into the, the security issues but for the backdrop for those who haven't been following what's going on in a in haiti eighty percent of the capital port-au-prince is controlled by gangs it's just it's just actually chaotic even though they had there's no really functioning government even though the wife of the the former the late president has been indicted but uh dr azar we we're, we're, I know it's not functioning, there you are know, not so many security agencies there, but I'm sure he had friends, the president had friends who supporters, who, you know, his security tail, why wasn't there any security the night he was assassinated?
3: Uh, your question is, is very important. Uh, that's a very good question. And, and I think uh, even the, the least intelligent person uh, uh, of the land or <laughs> living on mm-hmm. Earth, would tell you that you can't just walk in and touch, and touch a president uh, because this is an elected official, this is uh, the, the surveyor, if you will, of the nation. You can't just go ahead and touch him. Unfortunately, that night, the night of 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 six the uh, seventh of July, uh, the year twenty twenty one, the the said president, this land president, was killed without no without resistance. So. Uh, and and that's what really draws the the, the the conclusion that there is something uh, bigger than 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 that, and that's I believe that why that's the reason why a lot of people believe money played a big role in that killing, uh, uh, because uh, for for the chief of police <clears throat> then sorry there is a sequence there is a lot of sequencing uh that that lead to that movement uh due to the to the day uh and by the way there is a beef right now between between the, the one of the one of the indicted person uh, naming mr leon charles mr leon charles was the the the, the, the chief of police uh doing during the assassination so anyways uh, it is alleged that that mr leon was called by multiple times by the president himself uh, to suggest that there were a lot of shooting a lot of the noise of a lot of uh, uh uh shootings around his house so what's happening and according to an interview that he has given to one of the local i mean haitian radio and tv station metropol uh he said he said and a few in a few words that not in a few words, but he spoke in a very uh, 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 long uh, interview that he's given to, to the German, and he's, he, he, he said a few things that technically were not uh, coordinate with, with the others. But one thing that, that, that keeps my attention is that he, he said that the president called him. Uh, then he was the, the reason that there were no uh, cover is because not a, because he's the chief of police doesn't mean that he's the one um, looking out for the president that that actually bring a lot of brought a lot more questions than answers and the second thing he he said is this uh, that he called the person in charge uh, Dimitri ira that in charge of the President himself, and that person told them to back off because that was a DEA uh, 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 action
2: Uh, being being. When you say DEA, you you're not referring to this country's DEA, are you?
3: You you are talking exactly to this country's DEA, and 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 so and if you look at the video, you would you would hear uh, some voice, a man's voice. Uh, standing, quote, uh, DEA stand down, stand back." So, end quote. So he he repeated the same thing. He said he's uh, the the gentleman that works directly with the president told them to you know to chill because those people don't. He cannot go closer. They could not go closer to the president's house. And later suggested that. That same person went on and told them that we lost the president. So there is some kind of sort of emptiness, some space between the investigation, and you can understand why, in any uh, uh, law in a place where the judiciary system is working, that would be questioned. Those people would be brought to justice. And the same chief of police was subsequent, subsequently. Uh, sent to the oAS as a now to be present to represent haiti uh, as a as, a, as a, a diplomat now a former diplomat a former representative of haiti and the oAS to respond if you will to his to this to this accusation now he he gave up his position and so he can avail himself. To respond to this question. But there is the, that fight between him, uh, Mr. Leon Charles, with that gentleman whom he, he accused on so many occasions during that interview. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's the, the gentleman who goes by the name of Pierre Esperance, uh, who is also a person in charge of a, of a network that, that, that stands for human rights and hate. So, When you put all this together, and you listen to the former first lady, who said that he had a lot of enemies, and so many people did not like him, but there's more important, more the most important part of it is the fact that she said you gotta follow the money, follow the money. So, and the same Pierre Esperance doing an interview with the same network suggested that, look. When the investigation was in the point of follow the money, Mr. Leon Charles stepped in and said, We're not going to go that direction. We're going to go the other direction. So, again, recrimination is technically the essence here. You're asking yourself, I mean, one can only be, uh, you can be, if someone's. that they're skeptical about this investigation. Yes, you can't tell them they're not to. But if someone say that there is reason to believe that something happened among all this that we've heard so far, and you know that something happened because did they pay the guards to just back down, to just chill? No action at all, not even a single bullet was shot, and the president is killed an elected man uh, by the people killed just like that. So whether it is uh, a serious investigation, one can be skeptical, but bottom line is something happened, it's terrible. And answers is something that is far uh, to be found.
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
2: I, don't I thought of that, Doctor. As uh, because uh, yeah, because it, it, it's almost like like a movie. But is there any connection with the current president uh, to the assassination? Is there any connection with with the uh, the former first lady uh, to to the current president? It, it, it seems like how do we connect these dots it seems like they 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 don't connect why would she kill her husband if, if this is the moneys any proof she, unless she happened back in 21 family is there any proof that she got paid or, or what did she do it for i mean how, how do you, it, it seems it seems incomprehensible that 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 she would do that just on the surface but i mean it might be some other stuff that's going on that we don't know how do you see what what happened though how do you, just you know just your personal cuz you know you know more about it than most of us who are listening right now so how do you see it taking place that particular night
3: well um one would if you uh, again if, if if even even director of a serious uh serious position uh, like a minister or um, director of a, a building uh, in Haiti they are all allowed to have security they are allowed to have security um, because of the volatile situation security situation in Haiti. and the president uh, according to the same according to the same two people that I've mentioned earlier the assassination was planned, and those people were aware that something was happening. And even Leon Charles himself suggested that someone two years earlier called them and told them and told them that listen, they were planning on doing something. He went to a few meetings with those people. So, and he did not make any arrest. It is also told that. There is one uh, chief of police, local police chief of police, who knew the situation. He was invited to be part of it. He wanted to bring it to the president's attention, but the president did not give him any attention. They overlooked his statement until the president was killed. So as far as the First Lady, is the connection between him—between her and the current prime minister. it's not sure what's happening, and I think there is reason, and I, in my own and my view, and that's what I believe. Uh, one is allowed in this case to be skeptical about the whole investigation. Uh, do we have questions? Yes. Do we need answers? Yes, absolutely. We need answers. The president was killed, and the country is gone. Even worse is you know, the situation of the people is, is getting uh, egregious. So, egregious. So, to overlook that situation, to overlook it and say, well, everything is fine, and, and that would be a band-aid. And I think the current administration is putting a band-aid on the egregious situation of the people. This is a distraction. I think he does administration. I'm talking about a gentleman that while the people, the 80 percent and ongoing, is under getting controlled, the people cannot eat, they cannot go ahead and take care of the you know routine business. They can't. while you're going after instead of taking care of that, you're going after the white the first lady, the former first lady. I mean, I have my own question. Uh, you're going after a man that's sitting with the OAS while you're trying to, you know, put a country together. If he, if if he had the idea, if he had the right idea, if his heart was in the right place, I think there is a lot in Haiti to do right now. Uh, the time for this investigation was the day after the death of the president. Things have gone a spiral since then. So it's just I, you know, it's just difficult. It's hard to understand that why now the timing of the investigation, the timing of all that, is just it's just not sitting well. Uh, doesn't make sense. Again, I'm all for investigations. I'm all for the answers, um, but why now? Why is it now? We're talking about now. Why? Because. As we speak, I think the, the that said Prime Minister Ariel Henry just Sunday he was he was in in, in, in Guyana Guyana he was negotiating the deployment of the Kenyan in Haiti. I think for some time, mm-hmm. right there,
2: Dr. Azad. We'll, we'll talk about that when we get back. we got to take a quick break here. Family okay. discussing what's going on in Haiti. If you, if you, our guest is a Haitian actress, Dr. Jude Azad. He just told us a moment. Well, a couple of weeks ago, they arrested the wife of the uh, assassinated uh, president and said, or prime minister, and said that uh, she was part of the coup to take to kill her husband. It's, it's just, uh, It's and the situation in Haiti is just spiraling out of control. As you mentioned, the current prime minister, president, as meeting in Guyana with other Caribbean leaders and they're thinking about setting up security forces. We'll get into that when we get back. But it's 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. If you want to join this conversation with Dr. Jude Azad reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Eighteen minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Jude Azad. Dr. Azad is an activist from Haiti. He's giving us an update on what's going on in Haiti. Before we go back to him, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, we're going to hear from Dr. V, uh, physician scientist, Dr. Velva Bowles. Also, uh, Baton Rouge-based attorney, Ryan Thompson, will join us. And members of the team fighting to save a black Bethesda, Maryland cemetery will also update us on their fight. Later this week, though, we're going to hear from a clinical psychologist, Dr. Jeromey e. Fox, futuristic researcher, brother Sadiqa but. Bak- Kari and Grio, Professor James Small, are going to be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WLB. If you're in the D.M.V., you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right. If you're just joining us, we're discussing what the what's going on in Haiti and the, and the recently, the wife of the assassinated prime minister president has been indicted in as part of the the group uh, uh, suspected of killing her husband. She's she's part now. She's been indicted. This happened back in 2021. 20, and we're now 24, and now she's just been indicted. And, and, of course, some of you have been following what's going on in Haiti. There's a lot of chaos there, especially in, in the capital city of Port-au-Prince where gangs control 80% of the city. But before we get into the security issues, uh, Dr. Zard, is, 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 is the chaos only in Port-au-Prince, or is it all across Haiti?
3: Well, <clears throat> that's a good question. Uh, it, it, it is mainly, mainly in Port-au-Prince. Um, being the capital city, uh, I, I, should, I think maybe because that's where most <laughs> of the money is. But uh, surely, little by little, uh, slowly it's, it's becoming a national problem. Uh, I know L'Artibonite also has a very big uh, gang con- problem right now, and it's, it's making its way to the peripheral for per- uh, periphery of Haiti little by little uh we're talking about a place where people uh, people are you know we have a lot of illegal um, um, uh, would say people are leaving their houses uh, in masses people are leaving their place because gangs are approaching them day after day a lot of people we're talking about a place where people uh, work hard to make a living or to buy a house, and now they have to leave it and run away, because the gangs are approaching, and some people—a lot of people imagine, uh, if you're healthy and you know that there is a deluge or somebody, like a gang, the gangs are approaching to take over your town, which is the daily basis uh, situation in Haiti as uh, a current. But if you're healthy and you hear that, you can run. But I personally know a few people who died because they could not run and they stay behind and the gang would take over the house, kill them and burn their corpse. And this is daily, this is happening in a daily basis. So it's happening in Port-au-Prince. It's happening little by little in the con- in the countryside. So, all
2: right let's and, let's jump into the uh, the meeting this weekend though in, in Guyana uh, Caribbean leaders meeting and I understand the State Department offered to money and equipment if they could if a multinational force is 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 created to to uh, to stop the violence in Haiti can what more can you tell us about this meeting
3: well uh, not sure what came out of the meeting what we know is that uh, they have, the meeting happened and in, 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 uh, Guyana. And there were a few uh, leaders, uh, Caribbean leaders, in there. And the said Prime Minister Ariel Henry is due in Kenya this week uh, to finalize. He's going to. Uh, uh, he's due in, in Nairobi to finalize the deployment of the of the um, Kenyan lead uh, um, uh, security force in Haiti. Uh, and although this uh, um, movement is, is not fully authorized by by the United Nations, it does have the support and among the people that will be with the Kenyan officers, or other countries, or Jamaica, uh, Bahamas, Antigua, uh, Barbuda. Those are the countries that are expected to be part of that. As far as came out what came out of this, I would say this is it looks like it was a successful meeting. If it proceeds to to go to Kenya and to finalise, although although the highest court of Kenya uh, ruled that this deployment is illegal because they can they should never remove a thousand officers from a country that needs security like Kenya to send to Haiti. Now, what's happening from there? Why is it being finalized? Those are not, those have not been discussed publicly, but what we know is that he's in Kenya, he's going, if he's not yet, uh, to Kenya to finalize this deployment. A deployment that he's pushing for, while the people, of course, is is dealing with uncertainty in the Delhi, uh, leaving, like going to buy something if you're coming back home it's a chance if you come back uh, unless you're a gang member uh, in haiti right now so in the same moment he's also the prime minister also planning <laughs> planning on building 20 schools 20 public schools the existing schools cannot be attended by students. but he is planning on creating of building 20 more schools in which area? And the gang-controlled area. We're talking about City Soleil, uh, uh, So those are not the—this is unheard of. You'd say that it's—I don't know uh, how— how how. again, it goes back to the data investigations. It's the timing of the investigations and what the gentleman is doing that actually more
2: questions than answers all right 10 minutes away from the top there, and of course uh, not only kenya but Benin, i understand is also considering uh, sending troops to haiti and because the, uh, they had there's a connection between Benin. when i was in Benin, the the, the brothers there told me when you see your haitian brothers in the states they tell them that this is where they're from because most of the slaves that were sent to haiti came from Benin, from Benin, from the area of Benin, not Benin City in Nigeria, Benin, the country of Benin. Uh, and, right. you know, we've. and I just let me just remind family that, uh, you know, we all the same. Slave ships just stopped at different ports. That's why they stopped in Haiti and dropped some off, Some of most of the brothers from Benin. That's why that, that's a strong connection. And they're considering sending uh, troops there to, to quell the unrest in Haiti. But let me ask you this, though. You, the, the destabilization of Haiti has been going on for quite some time now. How much of it is because of Haiti was the first black nation to get the, its independence from the Europeans, from the colonizers on this side of the, the Atlantic? How much of it is the residual effect of that?
3: That is a serious question. That's a very serious question, and it cannot be answered by one single answer, uh, word. Um, it's a combination. It's a combination between uh bad governance bad haitians too uh, we cannot be pointing fingers at only outside we have bad haitians i mean we're talking about some haitians actually participate in the killing of the uh, i mean modern modern president um this is not new to haiti uh, killing a president but the modern time this is it was not expected so do we have had bad governance we had uh, greediness. We have people that wanted to keep power, but um, yes, it has to do. It always goes back, go back to the same source, of to as to independence of Haiti. But and I, I like to say the on, uh, I like to call Haiti the 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 unrecognized uh, a free black state of Haiti. It was not recognized. Uh, it was not accepted. Uh, it wasn't accepted as a a state. Although Toussaint L'Ouverture is himself the architect of that independence. Is also a student of the Enlightenment movement. Uh, The same school that Washington uh, come from and and, and the same school uh, that led to the independence of France and the U.S. is the same school that actually uh, that Toussaint Louverture came from. That's his moment, but it was denied. Haiti was denied of its independence duly, uh, what, which was clearly uh, taken right. I mean, rightfully. So until generations after generation had to pay for that. So it's never going to go away unless uh, uh, we have good governance and people that are capable of understanding uh where the world come from where it's headed as long as you have people like you know certain leaders that are i'm not gonna say their name but the old school the old politicians of haiti they need to retire and leave the space to young politicians people that see country uh people that see where uh that can Negotiate and understand human rights, to understand where the world came from and where is it's going it's It's time for these people to retire and leave this space to new uh, generation and people that actually would like to see Haitian retired and Haiti. Hey, why because so many people worked hard to retire. A lot of people in the diaspora want, they want to retire in Haiti. That's their country. That's where they spend their money. They spend their money in Haiti. They had, everybody has that right. They work and they go home. So a lot of people came to the U.S., went to France, went to Canada, went to all over the world to make a living, to change their lives, and go back to the land at the end, have a retirement. Uh, we'll have a retirement. Right. And
2: hold that thought right <laughs> there, doctors. Uh, we got to take a short break. Before we take the break, let me just remind family. Uh, you are know, talking about reparations quite a bit. Haiti had to pay for their reparations. They had to pay France. Up to a few years ago, they had to be paying France. And Chase Manhattan, uh, Damien Diamond's outfit. They bought the note, you know, just like a a note that they owe France. And I think they're still paying. But maybe when Dr. Zod comes back, he'll let us know if they're still paying for their reparations. They got free and they had a still paying. So when we talk about reparations, we cannot ignore what took place in Haiti. And this is why Dr. Azad is here. As so I mentioned, we've got to take a quick break. It's six minutes away from the top of you. We're back in four minutes, though, to wrap up with Dr. Azad right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. Keep going. Good morning, family. A minute after the top of the hour, moment here we'll be two members of the team fighting to save a black Bethesda, Maryland, Cemetery. But let's wrap up with Dr. Judah Zod. And when we look at Haiti and, you know, we see the problems on the island, and part of the problem stems from, in the fact, they had to pay for their reparations. They were still playing France I think, up until the 70s. And I mentioned Chase Manhattan, uh, purchased the note from France, and we're collecting that money. That's that's part of the problem with Haiti's problem, and struggling with, with, with what they're doing right now. So, Doctor Zahn, do you know if that that bill that note has been retired, or or do you think, is Haiti still paying money now to Chase? It was paying. I think this was going on through the seventies. That's part of the problems in Haiti. Do you know? Do you know if that's they're still paying for reparations?
3: Uh, I think as of uh as of uh twenty twenty two, uh Haiti had paid almost hundred and twenty two million uh to the debtors. So again, it goes back. Uh, I'm not sure if it's I don't, I, I don't know. The last the latest payment that I know Haiti has made so far is the $5 million, $500 dollars million back to Venezuela for for oil that money that is open, always discussed. Um, and Haiti uh, public places, even in the diaspora, because that money <clears throat> that was uh, uh, not on, not given, but, but um, uh, well, technically given to Haiti to, uh, for infrastructures were put, I mean, politicians actually stole that money and, and they built their own for, with it. Uh, so Haiti, Haiti had to pay it back. Uh, Haiti is indebted by, <clears throat> So this is another form to me, and it's another form of of bondage. Uh, although you're free to go, but you 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 are still in, de- in debt. Um, the bondage is the bondage continues. If it's not money, it's another way for you, for Haiti to stay back, uh, to sit on its to to uh, to be on its knee uh, from the time of independence, like two years after, and we've seen it, and it never stopped. And yes, uh, I'm not sure. If right. I, and and I you know, family, you can things. you can
2: Google that and find out, and maybe you can tell us later if uh, Haiti's still paying reparations. And because what happened to that note that Chase bought, and and if not, well, we need to lean on on Jamie Dimon and his group to retire that. They should, Haiti should with all the problems they have in Haiti, they shouldn't be paying for their freedom. Uh, that's just obscene. But Doctor well, Azar you want to say something yeah, before we let I mean, you go? Uh, no, go
3: I, 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 I agree with you. It should never happen. But again, it, the absurdity of this is that for someone, for you to take your freedom and someone say you have to pay for it, again, slavery should never exist. It should have never existed. So for, for someone, a human being, to take its independence and having to pay uh, for, for a century, uh, that uh, 122 years paying for that is absurd. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's egregious, but again, and that's where that's where
2: the problems are. The residual effects are the problem. If you've got to keep paying debt, uh, you know you can't. How can you build infrastructure in a country if you are still paying off debt for rep for your freedom? <laughs> you know, it's it's just absurd. But uh, Doctor Z, uh, we got to let you go. We got some other folks we want to move on to. But please, please keep us in the loop. Of what's going on in Haiti? Because those are our brothers and sisters there.
3: Will do, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate that.
2: All right, that's Dr. Jude Zard. He's an activist, a Haitian ha- actor. She keeps us up to date what's going on in Haiti. And it's not pretty, but those are our brothers and sisters, so we got to keep in touch and find out what's going on there. Four minutes after Tavia, we're joined now by uh, Sister Marsha Abadeo and also Attorney Steve Liverman. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. How are you guys doing, by the way?
5: Well, you know... I- Personally, I'm probably not doing so well, as you probably know. And, and you know, I know we'll give some history to the burial ground project, but um, about maybe three weeks ago, the county, um, in collusion with the developer, um, decided to escalate the violence um, against our community, the black community, and um, I would just say the general community in Bethesda, as well as the earth, they made a decision that they were going uh, to flood out um, Moses African Cemetery, and and it's it's just been a very difficult time. Um, we're in the throes of organizing the community, working with our attorney uh, who's on the line with us today. Um, but the cemetery, a portion of the cemetery, is underwater now. It was it was intentionally flooded. Um, and so it's one of the issues that, of course, we'd like to talk about today.
2: All right. Before we go, let's first. So you say it was intentionally. Can it can it can that be proven or is it, or was it heavy rains or whatever or whatever weather? How, can you prove to anybody see somebody turn on a spigot?
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
5: no actually we have we have we have much better evidence we have photographs um and and so we actually have pictures of the of the piping actually uh, uh the water actually spewing out of the piping onto the cemetery um we have maybe over 100 photographs at this point um so we actually have the, the evidentiary uh, we have we have the photographs showing the intentional flooding and and no one is denying it, quite frankly. So it's not as though we have to prove it at all. Um, but it is—it is, it is obviously very shocking. It's—it's um, it's, you know—it's—it's um, it's, it's, you know—it's very sickening because this is really reminiscent of you know sort of the way our families had to deal with KKK violence um, in terms of you know. Of white supremacists or these groups that believe that they have the right to, to make such important determinations for our community. You know, whether or not our family members will be safe, whether our children will not be the target of incarceration, whether or not, you know, if we engage in political activity, we have a cross on our lawn. I mean, this is the kind of activity that's intentional and it is it is um, it
2: is meant to instill fear, and it's meant to paralyze communities. Right. Um, well, well, hold on so, a second, so um, uh, Sister Marsha. Let, 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 and I'll get to the attorney in a moment. Let me just give the backstory, and, and maybe you can fill it in if I'm missing anything. There's a black cemetery in Bethesda, in Maryland, and the the city I think has sold it. The Montgomery County controls the land, whoever controls the land, and they've been bulldozing. Uh, the the re- remains of that cemetery. This is where our ancestors lie. The, uh, graves, headstones, uh, body parts. Uh, you know, these are our people, and and, and they they know it's an, a cemetery. It's not by accident. They know by now, and they're still continuing to do so. But th- we need reaction from from the community to help us shut us down, shut it down. But uh, Attorney Lieberman. What's the next legal move? Now that we know that the marshal says that they deliberately flooded the area, I guess, you know, I guess messing with the evidence, if you will, legally, what can the group do now, right now?
6: Right. That's a great question, Carl. Let me give a little bit of background because you got the history exactly right. There was a, an African-American burial ground in an area just west of River Road in Bethesda, a very wealthy area was called the Moses African Cemetery. And in 1967 and 1968, uh, a developer bulldozed that burial ground, bulldozed the the headstones, uh, and simply paved over uh, the 200 bodies that were buried there. And Maryland courts, including the Intermediate Appellate Court in Maryland, have concluded as a factual matter that there are 200 bodies. from the Moses African Cemetery who are underneath that parking lot and water in, in two parcels of land. Just next door to those two parcels is is an area uh, called parcel 242. It's right behind the McDonald's uh, off of River Road. And a, a developer there is building a self-storage facility. And they've had a lot of trouble with flooding. Whenever it rains, that area floods. And what happened a few weeks ago, we know this because we have the pictures, we have the video, is the folks running that construction site put in pumps to remove the water from that site. And they chose to run the, 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 the tubes um, onto a portion of the Moses African Cemetery so that the water from the construction site, which contained mud, settlement, sediment, uh, uh, oil, other, other pollutants uh, just gushed out onto the cemetery. Um, so there was an intentional decision um, to aim that pipe so the water came out on the cemetery. Uh, and the next step is, you know, under Maryland law, cemeteries are supposed to be sacred. They're supposed to be sacrosanct and they're protected by both uh, civil and, and criminal laws. And we're examining now whether there is a basis for bringing a civil lawsuit against the people who are involved in the decision to uh, pump the water onto what the courts have held Um, uh, is a burial ground containing 200 bodies.
2: And for the listeners around the country, this burial ground is in— uh, it is in uh, Bethesda, an upscale part of uh, uh, Prince George's County in Maryland. It's it's not in the hood. It's it's and and so I think maybe if the the makeup let me ask uh, uh, Marsha this then Do you think if the makeup of, of the community was different, there'd be a different response? Yeah,
5: I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's almost unbelievable. In the twenty first century, we are still talking about this kind of. Um, of uh, you know, KKK like you know response to to the black community. Uh, yeah, th- there's just there's just no way. If if this was any other community outside of maybe a Native American community, um, that this would be tolerated. I, I'll go further than that, Carl. I'll say if this was a dog cemetery, if this was a pet cemetery, we would not have this conversation this morning. Um, there would be such outrage from pet owners and and you know the um, you know the the, the, the pet community um, that Montgomery County officials would never think of allowing a, um, a developer to um, to pour slush and mud and water and oil um, in a human cemetery and it, for me my analysis is that you know is that is that the powers that be really do not consider us human. I mean, I don't know how one can get to another analysis of this. I mean, how is it possible in the 21st century? um, You know, we are still dealing with these kinds of symbols of hate. Um, Last weekend, I spent a great deal of time just going through newspaper articles and trying to understand, you know, whether or not flooding um, is one of the vehicles of symbols of, of hate um, um, to a community. And I was amazed at how many articles I found um, starting, say, 10 years ago. I mean, this is recent history where developers decided to flood out um, um, Black cemeteries. I mean, it really is a fairly common. Um, activity by developers, I had no idea. And so then I began to start thinking about this flooding in the same context as we usually think of other hate activities towards black people, like burning crosses and, and, you know, incarceration and other kinds of activities. I mean, it is is symbolic of one group of people believing that another group of people um, are not human. And and, and 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 that therefore their their ancestors have no significance, their lives had no significance, and that, that they're capable of just carrying out the most heinous activities that, that human beings can can, uh, can execute. So it's it's um you know, we thank um our attorney Steve Lieberman and the entire um, BACC legal team for stepping in immediately and identifying this as a hate crime um, and a crime that, you know, must be addressed um, legally. All
2: right. Hold that thought right there, uh, Marsha. We got to take a short break. We'll come back. Attorney Lieberman, explain to us why an injunction can, has not been filed yet. Why can't, why do, can we stop them from bulldozing the, the, this, this land right now as they're doing Because I understand every morning they're out there digging up these land, probably not because it's flooded, but why can't we stop what's going on there? Maybe you can ex- legally explain that for us when we get back. 14 after the top of the hour, family. You want to join the discussion with Sister Marsha and also Attorney Steve Lieberman. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the Top of the Hour with our guest, Marsha Abadeo, and also Attorney Steve Lieberman. What we're discussing is the Moses Cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. We've discussed this many times before. It's a black cemetery, and right now bulldozers are over there uh, tearing it up, excavating the remains, the tombstones, the the, 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 the body parts. uh, of of our ancestors that were buried there and this you know any other as uh, sister marsha mentioned if it was a an animal cemetery this wouldn't have happened as soon as they found that animals were buried there but for us they, it seems this seems to be ignored so my question to the attorney is is why why haven't you know I an mean, injunction being placed against the, the against the county or whoever's doing the excavation here on on this project
6: right thank you carl so let me let me let me break the issues into a, into a couple of pieces. First, the the Moses African Cemetery is under a parking lot, which is owned by the Montgomery County Housing Opportunities Commission. It's the parking lot for the Westwood Towers apartments. And even though the Housing Opportunities Commission is known about the burial ground being under the the parking lot for years, it's continued to allow people to park on top of that that. Uh, that burial ground and it's refused to um, transform the parking lot uh, into what used to be a sacred space. space. They refused to to remove the asphalt, they have re- refused uh, to, to, to uh, reinstitute headstones, they refused to put in an area where people can worship. And so we brought a lawsuit two years ago against the Montgomery County Housing Opportunities Commission and we did get an injunction we got an injunction to prevent them from selling the parking lot to a developer because we were concerned that things were gonna get even worse, that that the developer was gonna dig up the parking lot, that the developer was gonna put a building on top of the bodies. Um, in some very dramatic testimony in court, the, the Housing Opportunities Commission um, manager admitted that in the contract for the sale of the property to a developer, there was nothing in there that would prevent the developer from, for example, converting that burial ground to a dog park, using that same, that same analogy again. Um, so we got an injunction against them selling the property. Um, that case was just argued in January to the Supreme Court of Maryland, and the Supreme Court of Maryland is gonna decide um, what the respective rights are with respect to, with, with respect to that burial ground. Can Montgomery County Housing Opportunities Commission sell the burial ground to a developer? Uh, and ultimately, are they gonna have to uh, remove the parking lot and reconstitute the burial ground? So that's, that's one issue. The second issue is a different, a different developer uh, owns this, um, this site behind the McDonald's uh, where there's construction going on now. There are no gravestones there now. There's a huge hole in the ground. Huge amounts of soil have been excavated, uh, and Marsha and her colleagues um, have found what they believe to be strong evidence that there were bodies buried in that parcel. Um, a lot of the soil has been excavated uh, the soil has been has been discarded um, and and um, uh, but but they but but there is no active there is no active burial ground right there. Right next to that property um, where the water is being dumped is the Moses African Cemetery. The water is being, um, the, the pipes spewed water onto the cemetery grounds. We're investigating the facts now. We're dealing with local government, we're dealing with the Montgomery County authorities, we're trying to develop all of the evidence they say that they have rerouted the pipes. We're not sure that we believe that, but they say they've rerouted the pipes. If necessary, we will file a motion for a preliminary injunction to prevent this flooding from happening again. And we're considering what kind of lawsuit can be brought to hold the owner of, of the property, the, 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 the company that's been uh, spewing this wastewater onto the cemetery, civilly responsible for, for damages. Um, because there are a lot of cases which, in which courts have held people responsible for desecrating burial grounds. And our view is that pumping wastewater onto a cemetery is no different than coming onto the, 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 burial, the burial ground itself and removing headstones or something of that sort. Um, so, you know, we're, we're considering the next step in the legal process. We're also waiting for the ruling from the Supreme Court of Maryland as to what's going to happen to the Moses African Cemetery. Well,
2: this question, uh, as we speak this morning, are they actually out there, you know, uh, excavation, bulldozers, tractors are there on the land as we speak? Or is that stopped? No, excavation.
6: There, no, no, there is, yeah. Exca- there is sorry, excavation. Ahead, that's going go on. Yeah, there is excavation that's going on on that property. That property was not part of the formal Moses African Cemetery. But— there there's evidence that Marsha and her colleagues have gathered that it was an informal burial ground that there were human remains on that property uh, but there, were no there. Um, there are no tombstones um, there there are no burial artifacts that are left and that's because they've dug up millions of cubic feet of ground and trucked that ground away um, so in in terms of stopping ongoing construction It's a wholly different set of issues. What we want to do now is we're focusing on stopping the flooding of the the formal Moses African Cemetery with the wastewater from that construction site. And we're considering an injunction. We're considering a damage lawsuit. We're evaluating whether or not they're committing criminal acts. Those are things we're all looking at right now. All right, Masha.
5: Well, no, what I was gonna say is I think it's, it's helpful for people to think of Moses Cemetery um, in a somewhat simplistic way, one is Old Moses and New Moses. Old Moses, which is what Attorney Lieberman is calling an informal cemetery, is a cemetery right off of River Road that, um, that the enslavers, what we call the terrorists, um, the kidnappers of African people, they use that because it was swamp land. And Attorney Lieberman has noted that they're still having trouble controlling the water in that area because it's what we call in environmental sciences a wetland. Um, And so because it was a wetland, because it was a swamp area, this is old Moses now, um, it is an area that was agriculturally nonproductive. It's It's a typical area that these people, these kidnappers, enslavers, whatever you want to call them, used to dump African bodies um, after, you know, they had been spent, quite frankly. Um, And so the evidence that Attorney Lieberman referred to is that um, in 2020, they found hundreds of of remains of bones um, in um, what we call Old Moses. That's the part of the cemetery that would have been used during slavery. They found hundreds of bones. In fact, the county executive Mark Elrich called um, anthropologist archaeologist Dr. Michael Blakey and said, "We are finding hundreds of bones in this area. What should we do?" And Dr. Michael Blakey, who was also the scientific director for the New York burial ground, uh, told County Executive Elrich, "If you're finding bones, you must stop the construction. You may, you know, you must stop the construction." Um County Executive Elrich ignored um Dr. Blakey. Um, we started a massive campaign uh around the issue of the finding of these bones. Um, Montgomery County refused to put any uh, restrictions on the on the developer. Unlike, for example, if they had found, you know, any other bones of people, they would have stopped. But in our case, they didn't stop. And they just continue to to excavate, to remove the soil. In fact, uh, at one point, a a group of us followed um, a truck um, from the cemetery, and we do consider it a cemetery where human beings were laid. That is a cemetery, regardless of whether it's a formal cemetery or one that was created um, by enslavers. Um, We actually actually followed one of these trucks, dump trucks, to the uh, landfill, where we saw them releasing, um, you know, all kinds of, you know, funerary objects and and bone-like objects, and we in fact were able to to rescue some of these objects. Um, so there are two, So, so this old Moses, where our ancestors who were brought here from Africa were dumped, and it may be one of the largest mass graves in the United States. And then right next to it, adjacent to Old Moses is New Moses, which is what Attorney Lieberman is calling the formal cemetery. And the reason why it's called formal is because after around 1920s, our ancestors actually received a deed for the land, uh, obviously impossible during slavery. But in, in the emancipated period, they received a deed for the land. And so that deed was under um, the White's Tabernacle, number 39, of the brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of Moses. And those are the people, combined with their ancestors, who, quite frankly, built the cesta. They built Montgomery County. And now after death, this is the way the county uh, is treating our ancestors, uh, literally digging them up, sending them to landfill, pouring a parking lot on top of them. It is a national disgrace. And um the Congressman you might be interested um, for this area is Jamie Raskin. And so we have appealed to Congressman Raskin a number of times. In fact, we were at his campaign kickoff this week protesting the fact that the person who is who has um who has laid out such a beautiful challenge to American democracy. Um, during the January 6th hearing, um, this this desecration is occurring in his district, and he refuses to denounce the flooding. We've asked him to denounce the flooding. He's not responded, uh, not replied to us. We've asked him to denounce the desecration that's going on in his area, complete silence on his part, um, he came to um, our, our Juneteenth program, which we were very happy to host him. But then after he left, absolutely no voice to the atrocity that's occurring in his community. So we're asking people to please pay attention to this. This is a very important issue, and it deals with you know our identity as human beings, quite frankly,
2: um, so I just wanted to, to, to right. add, And hold that thought um, right there, uh, Sister Marsha. we got to take a short break. When we come back, Smitty in Baltimore has a question for you. Your family just joined us, uh, 26 minutes away from the top of the hour, Marsha Abadeo is with us uh, and her attorney, Steve Levin, they're trying to f- save a black cemetery in, in the Bethesda, Maryland, Moses Cemetery. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876 will get you in and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore. On 1010 WOLB, if you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, Or information is power. And good morning once again, family. Twenty minutes away from the top of the hour with our guests that Marsha Abde and Steve Lieberman. They're part of a panel fighting to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland, Moses Cemetery. We'll go back to them in a moment. Let me just remind you, come up later this morning, we're we'll going to speak with the scientist physician, Dr. Velva Bowles. And also uh, before that, we're going to speak with a uh, Baton Rouge-based attorney, Ryan Thompson. And later this week, uh, clinical psychologist Dr. J- uh, James, Dr. Jerome Fox will be here. He's also futuristic researcher, Brother Sadiqa Bakari, and Griot Professor James Small. They're all going to join us before the, the week's out right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right. I told you that the Smitty has a question for you. He's calling from Baltimore. And then Charles also has a question for you. Smitty's on line one though. Good morning, Smitty.
1: Yes, good morning, Carl. Carl, I have a, a question and, and, and i mean, a, a statement and a question. One of the things that back in November, Carl, after you heard and heard it on your show, I carried it on my show in, in reference to this black cemetery, uh Moses Cemetery, and I had Dr. Julianne on. Uh I my question is to ask her, ha, uh, ask them had they contact Governor Westmore and, and and have an executive order put in place? Because I did also bring it to NAN, which is the National Association with Al Sharpton, in reference to this matter. And I'm really appalled that nothing hasn't taken place or no changes have been made. Why is it that the governor can't put an executive order to stop this type of behavior that's going on out there? I mean, we take care, as the lady just outlined and the gentleman outlined, we take care – Dog cemeteries and cat cemeteries. Rather than we do our own. When when did this ever happen that we can't stop this action that is being being to this cemetery? I mean, this has been every since back in November, and we got blacks in every key position that there is, and we can't stop anything from happening that needs to be happening when it's happening to us. It's appalling.
2: Right. This, yeah, it is. Let's give that to to uh, Sister Marcia. Marcia. Sister Marcia.
5: Yeah, no, we've we've reached out to uh, to Governor Moore's office. I've spoken to one of his representatives, and there was just no action. Uh, we actually organized a demonstration in front of a fundraiser that Governor Moore was giving, just to bring attention to this issue and for him to actually see us and and hopefully reach out to us. And um, unfortunately, nothing has happened. I mean. It is, I agree with your caller, it is appalling um, that we have worked so hard to get so many um, black people in positions of power, Um, and then when they're there, you know, there's absolutely no acknowledgement of the pain and the trauma that's going on in our community. So um, if you have listeners out there who have contacts uh, or a contact with Governor Wes Moore's office please you know um, please let us know uh, please go to our website at the FESDA african cemetery coalition.net uh, i'll repeat it again the FESDA african cemetery coalition.net uh, please go there you can contact us through the website and um and we need to put our heads together in terms of how do we get um, politicians both black and white um to do quite frankly The right thing. I mean, this is really the lowest common denominator of a society that you're not digging up human beings and sending them to to landfills. And yet we sent a letter to about 20 politicians in this area just saying denounce the flooding of an African burial ground, denounce it as being uncivilized and barbaric and wrong, and not a single, not one politician had the courage to denounce the flooding and desecration of an African burial ground. Not one politician in our area.
2: Oh, wow. that's, that's sad. But let me ask a, a, Attorney Lieberman this. Attorney Lieberman, can the, can the governor actually, uh, by executive order, stop all of this right away? Just, you know, signing off on it? Is that possible?
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
6: I know the the governor is committed to to important social justice projects. And I think if if this were brought to his attention, personally, he would probably step in. Here's what he could do. The Montgomery County Housing Opportunities Commission um, will listen to Governor Moore. If Governor Moore were to say to HOC, you know what, it's not right that cars are parking on top of 200 bodies every day. Um, you've got to do something. You've got to convert that parking lot to a cemetery. Back to a cemetery, you've got to put on a memorial. You've got to reinstitute the gravestones. I think that they would say, yes, we'll do that. If Governor Moore were to reach out to the Montgomery County officials uh, who are in charge of dealing with the disposal of wastewater and tell them, you simply can't allow waste were to be dumped on on this burial ground, um, they would move very quickly. So I repeat um, Marsha's plea. If there are people who have contact with Governor Moore's office, we'd very much like to meet with him uh, to, to set out what exactly is happening and to ask for his help. He could do something. I'm not sure it's by executive order. Uh, it might be by the power of moral suasion. It might be with the budget power, but there's a lot that the governor could do uh, so if we can get him to uh to help us, that would be fantastic
2: I'm glad you explained I was going to ask you that he, you just he just can do it just by nudging them just uh, suggesting and if then if they don't, he can take the next step is that what you're suggesting you were suggesting
6: yeah, probably more than a friendly nudge you know the governor of the state of Maryland has an awful lot of power um and he also has a tremendous moral authority. Uh, he's got high approval ratings. People have great respect for him. And if he were to say to any of these entities—not the private developers, but, they, but the government and, and, and semi-governmental agencies—this is wrong and it has to stop. And I want you to stop it. I think that they would—I think that they would—that uh, uh, they would change their behavior almost immediately. All
2: right. 14 away from the top there. Charles is in Baltimore. He's on line four. Good morning, Charles.
1: Yes. Uh, can y'all hear me? Yes. Yeah. I
2: hear
5: you.
1: Okay. Great. 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 Yeah. I'm wondering about um, the people that are doing the work, the laborers, the truck drivers, you know, the um, surveyors, the, the engineers, are they African-American? Are they black people? that are actually mm. doing the work, that are doing the destruction that, you, that y'all mm-hmm. are
2: witnessing? Mm. That's a good question. Thanks, no, no.
5: Oh, Thank you, Charles. Yeah, I think, you know, you, again, there are two parts of the cemetery, Old Moses and New Moses. So the Old Moses, um, the 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 team of people working in the cemetery who are currently excavating as we speak right now, Um they're they're mixed. I mean, they're they're white, they're black, they're Hispanic. They're you know they they range uh, all the various ethnic groups, and you know we do try to talk to them. Some of them will talk to us, and we'll explain to them that they're engaged in the destruction of, of of an African burial ground. In fact, if you come to the burial ground um, uh, on River Road, you'll see a number of wall hangings on the side of the burial ground Um, one is from the historic officer uh, who says to the public we reviewed this information this is before the bones were actually excavated though Uh, we reviewed this information and we do not consider this a burial ground and so they have that sort of hanging on the side of the cemetery and then they have another um, uh, document on the side of the cemetery um, from, from a business, basically advertising their business. Um, and so a lot of the workers will say, oh, you know, have you read, you know, that statement on the side? And we'll say, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a person who wouldn't communicate with us, and this is basically just a political message to give people some false um impression that this isn't a cemetery, but you know it's a cemetery, we all know it's a cemetery. And in fact, you know, hundreds of bones have been found in this cemetery. Uh, so we've had these discussions. And then some of, the, some of the workers are prepared to engage us. And, you know, I'd like to think that some of them didn't come back to work the next day after talking to us. But a lot of the workers will tell us, look, you know, I've got to feed my family. And this is the job that was presented. And so even though we support you, you know, we have our own needs, and that is that we've got to take care of our family, and therefore we
2: have to, you know, carry out this work. So it's,
5: it's, a, mixed, it's a mixed bag, in a sense, in terms of the people who are working there.
2: All right, 10 away from the top. Here. Let me ask the counselor this, though. If one of the, the people who have relatives buried there, can, they, can you file can they on on their behalf can you file an injunction and stop it
6: yes and and we we have and have been representing for several years three individuals who are descendants of people who were buried in the in the Moses African cemetery uh, they've been our clients we brought a lawsuit on, on their behalf against HSC. and we're considering whether we can bring a lawsuit with respect to this recent flooding as I say, we're trying to gather all the facts. We want to be very careful. But um, based on what we've seen so far, the decision to intentionally direct the release of this wastewater onto a burial ground violates Maryland law. So we're considering bringing in action to stop any further flooding on behalf of those
2: individuals. Um, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I'll let you finish. No, no, no. Oh, sorry. I, I was done.
5: I, oh. Yeah, I, w- I was just going to say that, you know, it, it's it's a very emotional place to be when you go to Moses Cemetery now where the flooding took place. Um, when I first went there, it was, you know, I had to wear tall boots and I had gloves, I had a mask on, because you don't know what they're releasing from the cemetery. and um, you know all kinds of you know non biodegradable um, uh, body parts. Um, you know you've you've got a, just a lot of environmental issues going on in the cemetery, which Montgomery County doesn't seem to be particularly concerned about. But there's just a very spiritual. There's a there's a, a moment when you're in that space when you realize that these are the you know, the the last remains of human beings that are being defiled. And when you're there, I don't think you can help, at least I couldn't help, but just take a moment um, and just consider um, the depravity and, and how uncivilized it is for the county to make the decision that these people were so unworthy that they didn't have sort of the status of human beings. And that they would allow a company just to open a spigot and just to spew out the most filthy items that are contained in the earth earth, onto their bodies, onto this sacred space. And when you go there, it's somewhat of a quiet place, and you're just standing there taking in just a spiritual aspect of this. It, it, It can become quite overwhelming. But you know, we really need the community to go to our website at BethesdaAfricanCemeteryCoalition.net and to get involved um, in this issue because it, it could be Moses today, but it could be where your mother and dad is buried tomorrow. And so let's stop it before it gets to that point. And we're asking everyone in this audience to contact Bethesda African Cemetery Coalition that NET contact us and join the fight um, to stop this kind of brutality and violence against the black community. As far as I'm concerned, I don't see a difference between cross-burning and flooding out of cemetery. These are all symbols of hate. And when we allow this kind of hate to grow, you can't be surprised when it, at some point it affects your own household. So we're asking everyone to please go to our website and contact us.
2: All right. We're coming up on a break. When we come back, though, because you've been on the site many times, and I'm sure they probably know you by now. What's the reaction when they when you show up with other members of your group? I'll let you explain that, what happens when we get back. Family, you want to join this conversation with our guest Marsha Abadeo, you just heard her, and her attorney, Steve Lubin. They're fighting to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland, Montgomery County. It's one of the more upscale sections of Maryland. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876. We'll take them in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and A. 1450 W.O.L. Where information is power. Good morning once again, family. We're joined by two members of the team fighting to save a black cemetery in Bethesda, Maryland. Marsha Aberdeo and attorney Steve Lieberman. So Marsha, what happens when you show up on, on that site now these days?
5: Yeah, no, it's actually, um, thank you for asking the question. No, it's actually um, not safe for me to be there. I actually have to now be accompanied um, with, um, with uh, bodyguards or protection, I guess. Uh, when I go to the site, um, the last time I went with a, another female member of our group, um, we were met with um, a great deal of hostility. Um, in fact, we were in the part of the cemetery that I talked about that 's very quiet and sacred um near the apartment building and and um and just became a very scary scene after a while so um I actually can go there without people uh accompanying me at this point um I just wanted everyone to know that we you know we did go to the police department um as Attorney Lieberman knows. We tried, we tried very hard to file a police report on the flooding of uh, Moses Cemetery, and the police, Montgomery County Police, would not take a police report from us. Um, the only thing they would do was, um, was give us an incident report, but they refused um, to give us a police report because a police report would have triggered an investigation. Um, so we're in touch with the police chief now, Uh, And there may be some turning around in terms of their thinking about not accepting a police report on what is clearly a criminal activity. Um, But it just tells you what a small space we're dealing with in terms of the politicians that have locked arms against us. You know, we can't go to the police because they won't take a report on an on the flooding of an African burial ground, and even at, you know, a fairly high level in terms of Congress with Congressman Raskin, um, just no, no response. And so that's what it's like when you're trying to fight against power, um, particularly such enormous economic power as the developer um, uh, community in, in Montgomery County. So, so we need the community to help us um, and, again, our website is Bethesda African net. And if I can just take a minute, Carl, to thank you for keeping this issue in front of our community. We, we so appreciate um, all of your help. And I also want to thank, again, um, uh, Attorney Steve Lieberman and his law team uh, that have just been the most incredible partners in this struggle and this fight um, for, for human dignity. For humanity, and so we're so well, well, Let me jump in our, because we're
2: racing the clock right now, Sister Marshall. I'm going to ask Attorney Lieberman this about the police refusing to to, to take uh, have you guys file a report. How do you see that as an attorney?
6: I've never heard of anything like this before. Um, it's there are laws in the state of Maryland that make it a crime to um, to desecrate a burial ground and certainly flooding a burial ground with wastewater uh, falls into that category. I was just astounded when Marsha told me that they they would not take the police report. Um, The police would not take a report. Um, But there are gonna be other ways that we're gonna be able to address this. Um, And we're looking into all of those those options now. Um, The police have a chance to make it right though. They can take the report now. Uh, They can conduct an investigation. Uh, The state's, uh, the Montgomery County uh, State's Attorney's Office can conduct an investigation. If they don't do it, we're going to deal with it through through the civil process. And I don't think they're going to be happy with the result of that.
2: All right. Before I let you guys go, Marshall, one more time. How can folks who are listening to surround the country, how can they help your group to save this black cemetery and and, uh, the remains of our ancestors so they can rest in peace? How can they help you?
5: I think there are a couple of ways. Um, One is to contact us, um, the Thessa African Cemetery Coalition.net. And I think also, you know, contact Governor Westmore. We need for, for his phone to be inundated with calls saying that, you know, you promised, that you became governor, you were going to make black history. And um, one of the priorities of the educational system that we were no longer going to have our history erased like certain governors in the South have talked about. But in fact, what is happening in Bethesda is the erasure of history. It's not the rhetoric. They are erasing Um, body parts. They're destroying body parts. And also to call uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, uh, 202-224-3121, ask for Jamie Raskin's office, and tell him that, you know, this is unacceptable, um, that that this kind of desecration, the desecration of Moses' cemetery is unacceptable. And that um, if, um, if he does not step forward to address this issue, we're not sure why he's running for Congress. I mean, you know, he has ignored so many issues that have dealt with the black community, and this is another one. So we have to let him know that we are not happy with the way his office is treating the black community.
2: All right. We're going to stop it right there. Thank you again, and thank you for putting up the fight. And again, if, uh, any our listeners out there, you run into the governor, or you run into Jurassic. You know, ask them the question. Don't be mealy mouth now. It's a, it's, this fight is for all of us. You, you stand up there and, and skinning and grinning and taking photo ops with them. Ask them why they're, they're allowing them to desecrate this black cemetery in Bethesda, because they, they know about it. They'll know what you're talking about. And call us back and tell us what they say, because we've got to hold them accountable. Thank you, Sister Marsha. Thank you, Attorney Lieberman, for you guys are fighting for our ancestors. We thank you very much for that.
5: Thank, thank you, you, you very much.
2: All right, six after the top of Let's turn attention now to another attorney from Baton Rouge, Attorney Ryan Thompson. Attorney Ryan Thompson, good morning. Welcome to the program.
1: Good morning, Carl.
0: Thank you for having me, sir.
2: Yes, sir. And uh, this being your first time around, give us a little bit of your background before we get into the issues that are going on down in Baton Rouge.
0: No worries. Uh, I'm originally from Birmingham, Alabama. At the age of 13, uh, I relocated with my mother and my uh, one of my fathers. Uh, and I say one of my fathers because to be a Black African in this country, in this world, knows that a Black man has many fathers. So I moved with to uh, Inglewood, California, with my now-deceased father, LeVance Frisco. Uh, I then attended Inglewood High School for three years and transferred to Dominguez High School in Compton, uh, which some of your listeners may know from Tayshawn Prince as well as Tyson Chandler. So I attended there. I then did a year at East L.A. Junior College and then subsequently transferred to Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah, where I earned my bachelor's degree in criminal justice uh, with a minor in sociology. I came home, did some time, uh, earned a post certificate, decided to make a pivot uh, in terms of my career, worked in sales for a little bit, and then decided to go back to school. This is a pivotal uh, juncture in my career because I was listening to the front page in KGLH, uh, the radio station that your listeners know is owned by Stevie Wonder, uh, which is how I also know you. Uh, and I met a gentleman uh, by the name of Carl Poplis, better known as CP. We met at the People Center, and he told me, young man, you need to go and talk to a person by the name of Ernie uh, Smith. They were hosting an Ibonis conference at Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science. I met the now late great ancestor, Dr. Lillian Mobley and Miss Nola Carter, who was a bunch of Carter's mother. And then uh, I subsequently enrolled at Charles R. Drew University of Medicine and Science after the Ibonis conference. And kind of the rest is history. I subsequently decided to relocate uh, back to the Deep South to earn my degree uh, from the Southern University Law Center. Uh, I graduated from there in 2009, and I've been basically hitting the ground running since then. Uh, some of the pivotal cases that I've handled that your listeners may be aware of, there was a white supremacist uh, by the name of Jace Boy who killed an elderly black man in the Trader Joe's parking lot. We're still litigating that. Uh, There's also another case that we have uh, whereby uh, kids were being bullied in the local school system. That kind of got made some noise as well. But, yeah, we've been uh, on the ground, and I say we, that's myself and Attorney Jessica Hawkins here. And then now we're dealing with this issue that we have here in Baton Rouge now, uh, which is similar to the Holman situation in Chicago, which is called the Brave Cave.
2: All right. Uh, Nine after the time. Share with us what is going on in Baton Rouge in our community.
0: So back in 2023, I received a phone call from a distraught mother, uh, and she stated that she had not heard or seen from, or had not heard from her son who had been arrested in front of a house. Uh, this person's name is Jeremy Lee. Uh, we contracted uh, with this mother, and we decided to go and do a welfare check at the East Baton Rouge Parish Prison. Your listeners may know or should know that the East Baton Rouge Parish Prison is considered the most dangerous prison in the world, if not well, in the country, if not the world. Uh, I say prison because uh, your listeners would understand that though we call it a prison here in Ban Rouge, it's actually a jail. It is a place where people are held uh, pre-trial uh, who are being held without being uh, adjudicated or being judged as guilty. So it's actually a jail. That's what your listeners would know this is. So I went to do well a welfare check on Jeremy and instantly when I walked in, Uh, into the interview room, the attorney interview room, I knew that something was wrong. This was a young man who had bruises all over his body, uh, and I asked him what happened to him. He said that they beat me. I said, well, who beat you, young man? And he said, the police did. Uh, And I'm ashamed to sit here and say that at first, uh, upon first hearing it, uh, I questioned the brother, you know, several times to make sure that he was telling me the truth. Uh, And his story never changed. And what he went on to describe to me was something that I don't think uh, any person or any attorney wants, especially a criminal defense attorney or an attorney who is a civil plaintiff's attorney, wants to hear from the client. He stated that he had just arrived at the home where he was arrested at, had maybe been inside the house five minutes, and he was, asked, he was ordered to then exit the house. Upon exit the house, he came into contact with an individual by the name of Troy Lawrence, Jr., now, your listeners may know that name Troy Lawrence Jr. because he made national news for strip-searching a juvenile in public uh, several years ago, which the city settled. But he's still in the department on this street crimes unit team. The team or the young man can then be telling the officers, asking the officers, what am I being detained for? they telling him that we don't have to tell you that. Uh, at some point, Jeremy is placed in the rear of Troy Lawrence Jr.'s car. Uh now mind you, this car is it is, is hot at this point. So but this kid is sitting in the in the car for, for multiple hours. Interestingly enough, this militarized unit, uh, which is called the Street Crimes Unit, decided to take a militarized vehicle and run it through the front of these young adults' home. I say young adults because these young adults, uh, the oldest person uh at that home was nineteen at the time, uh, and that is because they lost their mother during COVID. So they were essentially raising themselves. And the Baton Rouge Police Department decided to take this vehicle, something that you would see in the Gaza Strip or Afghanistan or something like that, and they decided to run it through the front of the home. Interestingly enough, you can watch body one camera, and this young lady begs and pleads with them, please don't do this to my home. You can come through the front door. I will give you the key. They ignored her. So Jeremy is subsequently transported to uh, what I thought was the first district at that time, off of Plank Road here in Baton Rouge. Uh, and what he says happened is that the officers began to take off their body one, their, their vest, which their body one cameras attached to, and they decided to, to uh, attack him. He attempted to run inside of this area that we now know to be the Brave Cave, but again, we thought it was the first district precinct. And there was a leg sweep performed upon him. And then what subsequently happened there is what I would describe as a gang-style beating. Jeremy is then uh, asked to strip. Uh, there's a visual body cavity search performed upon Jeremy, and then he's been interrogated. That's important, Carl, because, as you know, you have, to be, you have a right to have an attorney present. You have a right uh, to deny being questioned if you're being given your Miranda rights. You have to make a decision. You have to knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily waive those rights. None of that right.
2: happened. Hold thought right there, counsel. We've got to take a short break. When we come back, I want you to reiterate that, because people are listening, and we, we don't know what our rights are. As an attorney, no uh, I want you to go over the story and tell us again what our rights are when, when we stop by the police, because we do have some rights, supposedly. And if you can, you know, just tell us what happened to this young man as well. Fourteen minutes after the top of our family, as I mentioned, we've got to step aside a short break. we come back in four minutes. So you got questions for attorney Ryan Thompson, reach out to us at 800 450 7876, and we'll take your phone calls right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning, once again, family. 21 minutes after the top there are Our guest is a Baton Rouge-based criminal defense attorney, Ryan Thompson. And by the time it's over, you'll know why we need more uh, attorneys like uh, Ryan Thompson. So, uh, uh, Counsel, tell us what happened Uh, at this stoppage. And give us our rights when we're stopped by the cops. What rights do we have?
0: So, When you're stopped by the police department, uh, you are detained and or questioned or or subsequently arrested. The officers have a duty uh, under Miranda v. Arizona to advise you of your rights. Those rights are meant to protect you, to advise you that you have a right to remain silent, you have a right to have an attorney present, and if one is not uh, – if you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you via Gideon V. right, which would be the public defender's office. So a lot of times uh, individuals uh, decide to not invoke that right, and I want to be clear talking to your listeners here. You have to unequivocally say in this day and age that I don't want to talk to you, I want an attorney. And you also cannot re-engage the officers in the conversation when they're eliciting these questions of you about this criminal conduct. So turning back to Jeremy Lee, uh, he was never was never given a right or an opportunity to have an attorney present, and he was interrogated. What's important about that, Carl, is this. When you watch the body on camera, he's in a warehouse or open uh, – well, not an open, but a uh, large room that has dirt all over the place. Um, there are two vehicles in there that looks like they've been seized and or impounded um and then, when you're talking about what was being transpired um uh on the body one camera what was transpired on the body one camera is that um he's questioned not about the incident uh in which he was arrested but he was being interrogated about so-called criminal conduct throughout Baton Rouge. She was asked questions about rappers, gang activity, just things that you wouldn't think uh, would be related to the incident at hand. Now, once we decided to go public with this call, um, I re- then, we then received a slew of phone calls. The next phone call I received was from a grandmother who stated that she urgently needed to talk to me about her visit to the Brave Cave. Now, Carl, I want to make sure your listeners and you understand that this entire time that we're talking about the Brave case, I think I'm talking about a carport at a first substation. I received a phone call from an individual who does construction work that told me, Ryan, what you're looking at is not the substation because that is an old substation. What I'm looking at here is new construction. So it was at that point in time I decided to uh, have Jeremy come out and show me where he was taken. Carl, what I what I, where he took me, I couldn't believe it. He was some five hundred yards away from the substation in the back of another government building in an open field, and it was a warehouse. I can tell you, I've had an expert come in here uh, and talk to me to advise me, and I took that individual out to what we now know to be the Brave Case. And she said, this looks just like Guantanamo. At that point in time, Carl, I realized that what I was dealing with was something similar to Holman that happened in Chicago, but something that was related to what happens overseas in Afghanistan, Thailand, uh, and subsequently Guantanamo Bay. I will point your listeners to this Senate committee hearing report by the late uh, Senator Feinstein on torture and on black sites. Black sites are places where enemy combatants, terrorists, are taken, and they're interrogated. They are waterboarded. They are sexually humiliated. They're put in wooden chairs. They are beaten. They are sleep-deprived, and they're interrogated. Now, what's important about that is that your listeners should know that there's an individual by the name of the forever prisoner who's been detained at Guantanamo. There were pictures that his uh, attorney— Decided to issue to the public that shows individuals being placed in stress positions, placed in wooden chairs for long periods of time, placed in positions while handcuffed and shackled where they can't rest and not able to get comfortable. The environment is cold. They're sexually humiliated. And it was at that point in time, Carl, that I knew that what was going on in Guantanamo, what had, was going on in these black fights around the world, was right here in Baton Rouge. So now back to this grandmother. She was stopped by the same two officers that did what they did to Jeremy Lee. And she was being taken to the Brave Cave for what they say was being in possession of a firearm with a controlled dangerous substance. Now, the controlled dangerous substance call, which you should know, was her prescription medication. And on several times, at least four times, she tells the officers, I own this firearm lawfully, and I can show you my prescription medication via my Walgreens app. They denied her that opportunity. They took her to the Brave Cave. They strip searched his grandmother. They did a visual body cavity search on his mother, and then used a flashlight to examine her vagina and her buttocks. Inside of her buttocks, excuse me. We then filed suit on that. We then subsequently received another phone call from another individual by the name of Jason Jackson. Jason Jackson was mowing his grandmother's lawn one night, and then he was on a freeway, which they call highways here, traveling. He was stopped by two officers from this street crime unit. He was then subsequently shackled at the legs and the feet, I mean at his legs and his, and his wrist. He was transported to the braid cave. There was nothing found in this vehicle after they did a search of the vehicle. And was he was then shackled, taken inside the braid cave. He was threatened with a canine. They then performed a visual body cavity search upon him, strip searched him, interrogated him the same way that everyone else was interrogated. Now we filed suit. Subsequently, Mr. Jackson was indicted after we filed suit, so we amended our complaint to include a First first Amendment retaliation claim. That's still being litigated. The reason that I'm here on your show today is that uh, headlines were recently made about a family, about a family. This family um, was uh, taken to the Brave Cave in the early morning. This is around about June. And what your what your listeners should know again, you have a young a young mother and her three her two teenage boys and her youngest child who was 11 was in the early mornings. They didn't get a loud boom at the door. They took that same military style vehicle, ran it through the front of her uh, front of her house, busting her windows out. Where the 11 year old child was sleeping, the 17 year old and the 16 year old, the noise was so loud that they thought someone was burglarizing their home. They attempted to flee. They were then tackled by uh, what we would consider a SWAT team. The 17-year-old was punched in the face several times on the kitchen floor. The 15-year-old was hit in the face with a taser. The 11-year-old was ordered out of the house in his underwear, placed in the rear of the military vehicle, and then subsequently transferred to an unmarked police vehicle in, uh, uh, along with his mother. For several hours, Carl, you can see this 11 year old in the back of the car distraught. Also, the 17 and the 15 year old complain on body one camera to a lieutenant who's on the scene saying, Your officer hit me in the face, hit me in the mouth with a taser. And the 11 year old says, Your officer down bad, they hit me multiple times. You should know, Carl, that the Baton Rouge Police Department policy requires when someone orally complains of use of force or orally makes a complaint. They are obligated to take a report. Also, when officers use use of force, per their own policy, there must be a report that is written. That was not done. Well, here's where it gets eerie, Carl. They decide to take the 11-year-old back in the house to get him dressed. You can see this all on body one camera. They take him back in the vehicle, and then they're being transported to the brave cave. Like all the other instances that I'm sharing with you, as they get close to this black site, the camera goes black. No more camera footage. Now, there have been press conferences since the first release of the first Brady Kid case with Jeremy Lee, where the police department has said that they have cameras inside of their warehouse. We're still waiting on them. And what they subsequently said about, where, about the, when we questioned them about the body one camera or the CCTV cameras in there is that it's like a convenience store that it records over the camera, the camera footage every 30 days. Now, you and I both know, Carl, that the government has infinite amount of resources, Why would this this warehouse have the equivalent of of a 7-Eleven camera system, knowing that individuals were taken inside of there and and things are happening in there, uh, whereby individuals' constitutional rights may be in question? But this 11-year-old and his mother and his two brothers are taken to the brave cave. And what I'm about to describe to you, Carl, I, I don't think that any human being should be subjected to, let alone a child. This mother states that she was then strip searched by a male officer, which is a violation of Baton Rouge Police Department written policy. But I do believe that it's a custom and practice of Baton Rouge Police Department. She was strip searched this male officer, and there was not another male officer present. The eleven-year-old subsequently, after a few hours, asked to use the restroom. This same officer takes that takes that eleven-year-old child to the bathroom, strip searches him, body cavity search, and then. and and or held held and or grabs his penis. Now, I'm sure that's alarming to your listeners because it was alarming to me. Well, the 11-year-old didn't stop there. He then states, along with his mother, and I confirmed it with the 15-year-old, that this high-ranking official, this lieutenant who was on scene, takes his 15-year-old brother, handcuffs him, takes him into this holding cell, chokes and beats him unconscious. The 15-year-old is then subsequently booked into uh, the juvenile detention facility. The mother and the 15-year-old is taken to the hospital, and the 11-year-old is released to his father. Carl, when I got the police report, I was expecting to see all of this in the police report. You would know that the 11-year-old is not mentioned in the police report. The use of force is not mentioned in the police report. The body cavity, the strip search is not mentioned in the police report. The trip to the hospital is not mentioned in the police report, right? None of these things are mentioned in the police report. So it's very alarming to me. And so at that point, I decided when you're dealing with white supremacy, you must dot all I's and cross all T's. There was a forensic interview done on this child that we contracted with the Louisiana School of Health Sciences, science, science. There was a psychiatrist that interviewed him. There was a psychologist that interviewed this year child. And what, I, what they told me was is this is probably one of the most credible interviews that they've ever done of an 11-year-old child. So we subsequently filed suit. We moved for a restraining order. Uh, the restraining order was granted against this cop. And i tell you why it was granted, why we moved for it. We then found out one day, I received a text message from this child. And he said, Mr. Thompson, the same officer that, that victimized me also works in my school as a school resource officer.
2: You said, know, well, we got to take a break. Man, just hold on a second. Attorney Ryan Thompson, we got to take a short break. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Sister Trust in Baltimore okay. has got a question for you because those are some horrendous things that are going on down there in Baton Rouge. Family, you want to join this conversation with Attorney Ryan Thompson, reach out to us at 800 450 Seventy-eight, seventy-six. Your phone calls in four minutes, right here in Baltimore on ten ten WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM ninety-five point nine and AM fourteen fifty WOL. Or information is power. And good morning again, family. And thanks for rolling, Melissa. this morning. Twenty-two minutes away from the top of the hour. Our guest is. Uh, He's a Baton Rouge-based criminal defense attorney, Ryan Thompson. This game's a horrific story. How they're treating some of our members down there in Baton Rouge. We'll get back to him in a moment. This, mind you, we're going to stay in Louisiana. Coming up later, we're going to speak with the uh, physician-scientist Dr. Velva Bowles. And later this week, we're going to speak with clinical psychologist Dr. Jeremy Fox. You know him from his best-selling workbook, Addicted to White, The Oppressed in League with the Oppressor, A Shame-Based Alliance. Also, futuristic researcher Brother Sadiqa Bakari will be with us. And Griot, Professor James Small will also check in. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Attorney Ryan Thompson, is there anything else you want to add before we, I take a call for you?
0: you know, I just want to make sure that uh, folks understand exactly what it is that I'm saying here. I'm saying here that you have um, military-style tactics, CIA-style tactics, uh, being carried out here, right here domestically in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, and if the Constitution is to be a living, breathing thing, and we are indeed Americans, this should not be happening. So I want to make sure clear what it is that I'm saying. This is not just about uh, a 1983 claim that we filed or use of excessive force and Monell claims. This is about our community being treated as insurgents, enemy combatants, threats, right? And, more, and also important to that is that all the findings from all the research from the Senate committee hearings have been very, has, been very, has been very upfront about that this style of tactics of torture interrogation does not garner reliable information.
2: All right, hold that thought right there. 20 away from the top there. Sister Sheena's joining us from Baltimore. She's online, too. Good morning, Sister Sheena. Sister Sheena still with us?
7: Take this wheel. I do have a question. Attorney Ryan Thompson, first of all, I want to say thank you for being there for this family who now we know their rights are not only being violated, but this is horrible. We you know this is is what I'm saying around the country i'm I'm hearing them because see, I'm in Baltimore, and we had a gun trace passport, but our state's attorney stood up to them, so what I want to know is the Department of Justice involved because I know our state's attorney Mosey, I don't know if you're familiar with her or if you can connect with her because she took down our filthy gun trace passports uh with the help of the Department of justice and um Of course, she's under attack now, but the community is with her. So what I want to know is, uh, is the Department of Justice involved in this? And what can we do around the globe to help you? Because this is horrible. They're using our taxpaying dollars to pretty much enslave us again. This is slavery all all over again. Castration and all this foolishness. Are you kidding me? All right.
2: Thanks, Sister Sheena. Uh, Counselor, your response.
0: Ma'am. Ma'am, thank you for your question. Um, I've been bearing this myself and Attorney Jessica, Jessica Hawkins. And there's also a professor that you should know uh, who's at the University of Virginia by the name of Thomas Crampton up there with you guys, uh, who's also a co in these cases. Ma'am, I've been bearing this uh, weight for a long time. Uh, and, and I'm not complaining about it. Uh, but it is a weight to carry. It's exactly what you said. It is sliding us right back into slavery. Your listeners can look up, Carl, and look and see exactly what's going on down here in Louisiana right now with our governor. They're putting forth, in fact, they passed new crime bills. We know from listening, to, I mean, from reading the works of uh, Mr. Foreman, Professor Foreman, that uh, we cannot incarcerate, incarcerate our way out of crime, right? But to answer your question, um, I have heard from the Civil Rights Department at the fe- with the federal government But well, my question then becomes is is what took so long uh, I guess we're still in the early stages of it I can tell you that none of my victims or none of my clients have been interviewed by the uh, Department of Justice and or the FBI uh, and what you can do to help is to reach out to your counsel per I mean to your representatives at the federal level you can tell them that you've heard of this you've seen this and you are appalled that uh, United States citizens are treated again like threats, enemy combatants, right here in Baton Rouge. Uh, you can find out who our representatives are. You can reach out to them. You're a tax paying citizen to put an immediate stop to what it is that's going on. Your listeners should know, call that right now. We're, we have we we were made to file uh, seek to enjoin. We filed an injunction at the federal level because the policy uh, which is being used to perform these strip searches by the Baton Rouge Police Department is still in play, it's still a policy. And they've doubled down to say that reasonable suspicion is all that is needed to perform a script search. Your listeners have heard the term reasonable suspicion before because it was articulated in Terry v. Ohio. Reasonable suspicion, according to Terry v. Ohio, gets you a pat down search. Again, I'm going to repeat that. Reasonable suspicion, meaning they hunch that some criminal activity is a flip spot, right? Gets you a pat down search for the officer's safety. It doesn't get you taken to a black site, script search, body cavity search. Doesn't doesn't allow for that. So, but again, thank you for your question, man.
2: Yeah, because that's incredible. Now, are we dealing with uh, is this widespread or is it just a few rogue officers on the police department in Baton Rouge?
0: So, I know I can only speak for this unit. Uh, the Street Crime Junior, which has now been disbanded, but you listeners should know that these officers are still working with the Baton Rouge Police Department. Uh, I've seen them on the street. I've ran into them. In fact, a few of them follow me on Instagram. Uh, One of them retired, which is Tor Lawrence Jr. Tor Lawrence Sr., which is Junior's dad, who was the deputy chief over the unit, has since been arrested for malfeasance of office for an unrelated issue whereby a black man was or a man was tased by one of his officers, and he participated in the cover up of that tasing, whereby the officer who recorded it uh, sent that um, body one camera uh, or through that body one camera in the Mississippi River. So, to answer your question, Carl, I specifically understand that it was this street crimes unit that was uh, taking people to the Brave Cave or this processing center, as they call it, but uh, I'm sure that other officers. Uh, that were not a part of the unit also exercise uh, these tactics because again the Baton Rouge Police Department has doubled down on their position that this strip search policy is uh, is a good policy.
2: Uh, I'm going to ask you about the the, the the cavity searches. Is is that part of police requirement or we're dealing with some some something else here?
0: So the again, my view, uh, Carl, is that again these are all. Uh, interrogation torture tactics. Uh, but according to Baton Rouge Police Department policy, a body cavity search can be performed, but under certain circumstances. The officer must have probable cause to believe that contraband is being uh, concealed on one's body, right? You must have a supervisor's approval. Once you have a supervisor's approval, you're supposed to get a search warrant from a judge, magistrate, or uh, commissioner and then once you get that search warrant, you must have medical uh mer- medical personnel available. Right? Must be present. None of that happened here.
2: And if and if you mentioned the grandmother got cavity search with by a male officer, that just doesn't seem right.
0: It's not. It's not within the policy. Again, I'm 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 talking about the policy, but uh, we when we filed these what we call Monell claims in federal court. It's not just about the written policy. It's about the customer practice. So I believe that it is the customer practice that uh, male officers are strip searching females and or, uh, you know, juveniles who have no uh, involvement in the, in the criminal uh, allegations involved.
2: All right. Uh, 14 away from the top. They are counsel. Let me ask you this question though. The 11 year old, He's going to need some counseling. He's going to need some therapy. He's gonna be going all through now, as young as he is. Because for most uh, adult black males in this country, we know we're gonna get stopped by the police. We know, you know, it's, it's the rights of passage being a black man in America. Get stopped by the police. If anybody dis- disagrees with me, you're fine. <laughs> but I, I know I've been stopped several times by the cops. It, it, it's, a lot of times it's just harassment. Uh, you know, white folks didn't understand that until they saw George Floyd. What happened to George Floyd? But b- beyond that, this this youngster, this eleven-year-old. Does he need some sort of therapy because he's going through now? Because as an adult, we understand it. But 11 year old, he thinks the cops are probably think the cops are his friends. Has is, is any therapy been provided for him?
0: The recommendation of from the forensic interview is that he's going to be in need of uh, intense therapy. I can tell you, Brother Carl, uh, I treat all of my clients like family, and that is like my little brother now. And he calls me, and I can tell you the most recent episode that he had where he was afraid to leave the house. Because he heard helicopters, he heard drones flying over his house, and uh, he, he was afraid. And then remind, I need to remind you that, remember, every day that this child went to school, according to the psychiatrist and the psychologist, he was re He was reliving that trauma. So to answer your question, this child is going to be in, in, in need of serious long-term uh, therapy.
2: So what's been the reaction in, in Baton Rouge, you know, the civil rights groups, uh, the the uh, the, uh, the uh, clergy? Is anybody, is anybody saying anything or are we just laying down and taking this?
0: Um, when the news first broke of Jeremy Lee, there were some local um, activist groups. Uh, Evolved Louisiana uh, was heavily involved in getting the word out. Uh, there was um some um council meetings that were held and I would invite you and your listeners to go and watch the council meeting uh whereby Chief uh Murphy Paul uh gave a a, a passionate um, speech or commentary to the city council. Uh so I would encourage your your individuals to watch to watch that. Uh, since all of this kind of happened back in September and October, uh, it's been fairly quiet on the ground here. And uh, interesting. Since, this new fi- since this new filing, uh, it's almost been deafening, to be honest with you. Uh,
2: how about yourself, though? Because now they see you as an activist attorney, uh, are, are they attacking you? Are you concerned for what you do? You know, may get stopped by the cops? Are you, you experienced any intimidation or anything like that yet?
0: As I stated earlier, um I know that some of the officers do follow me on Instagram now because I can see it from my stories who follows me. I uh, haven't received any threatening phone calls or anything like that. Um, I have seen some suspicious cars uh following me or whatnot, but you know, that just may be my uh normal, which is not normal, but normal uh black man skepticism, you know, or, or paranoia that just comes with doing this work. Uh as an attorney, I do have an obligation. Um, a special, a special uh, duty uh, to advocate uh, for for communities, or to give access to the course to communities that have that wouldn't ordinarily have access to them. So uh, I've been called to do this work, and given the uh, plight of individuals or the ancestors who have come before me, I don't think I'm uh, I, I can't turn it off. Essentially, what I'm saying, and I owe a duty to them to all of those who paved the road for me. So right now uh I don't necessarily have time to be worried about that, but I am mindful, and I have made adjustments in my life uh to uh, ensure that uh I'm not putting myself at any type of risk of harm that would or that that would not or any that would not ordinarily be there, yeah
2: away from the topic. I got to ask you again about when you stop by the police you say we don't have to if they stop you you don't have to say anything or do you have to say I, I, I need I want an attorney or or if and if they you know say go kick rocks and they start you know tr- trying to intimidate you what is the legal response that we have as citizens
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken.
0: So there's been uh, recent Supreme Court ruling, and I, and I say recent, I mean over the last few years, whereby the person has to explicitly say, I don't want to talk and I want an attorney present. Uh, there was a ruling that was done out of uh, Louisiana uh, several years ago where an individual said, man, get me a lawyer, dog. And so we know uh, in my training that I've had from Dr. Ernie Smith, we're talking about Ibonis here. We're talking about African-American language, uh, you know. And so it was clear to me that he was unequivocally asking for an attorney. He said, get me a lawyer, dog. And the judiciary, the Supreme Court of Louisiana, stated that it was laughable that he would ask for a lawyer, dog, which is not possible. And even him invocating or, you know, exercising his right asking for a lawyer, they didn't see that as him invoking his Miranda rights. So the statements that he made were subsequently used against him to prosecute him. So to answer the your question, you're supposed to be, you're supposed to ask, uh, to say that you don't want to talk and that you want an attorney present, but even that's become questionable because this individual who asked for a lawyer, though, they didn't respect his, his, his constitutional rights to when he invoked his Miranda rights. So, uh, again, you're supposed to unequivocally say that, invoke that right, and not being reengaged re officers, but again, given that ruling, um, I don't really
2: know what to say at this point. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I, I'm, I'm hoping that some of these young people, folks are listening to that. You, see, you know, pro- that's probably, the, that's the, the vernacular they use these days. Get me a lawyer, dog. No doubt. And, and they use, and they, and they turn it around and use it against them. So obviously, you know, you're talking about Ebonics. You've got to know what to say. But can you ask the the, the if you're stopped by the police, can you say, why are you stopping me? Do do, do they Do they have to tell you?
0: So uh typically what happens is when you're stopped, uh oftentimes and I've been stopped and I've seen I've watched, you know, thousands of hours of body one camera at this point, is that the officer usually says that he's conducting an investigation, and that he's trying to secure the scene. Now typically once everything's under control and officers kind of placed their body where they need to play or he feels safe, right? He typically is supposed to tell you why you're being stopped. I've seen I've I have seen i have not seen any constitutional or any Supreme Court rulings that state that they have to tell you why you're being stopped. But I have seen Department of Policy whereby, or or uh, you know, local ordinances where if an individual asks you, asks the officer, why am I being stopped, then he's required to do so. So, again, I'm not aware of any um, Supreme Court rulings out of the United States Supreme Court whereby an officer must tell you why he stopped you. Uh, but it is often professional uh, courtesy or departmental policy or local ordinance whereby once the scene, once something, once an officer feels secure, they typically have to tell you why you're being stopped. Right, but I think it's always tuba. good practice to ask that officer. I think it's all. I think it's always good, good, good practice for Black folks uh, to ask. You know, why am I being stopped?
2: Right. Six away from the top hour. We're going to take a short break. we got to stop right here, take a short break, and we'll be back with attorney Ryan Thompson and wrap it up and tell us what's next for our brothers and sisters in Baton Rouge. Family, you want to join this conversation, hit us up at 800-450-7876. Your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And also on the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning again, family, a minute after the top there with our guest, a a criminal defense attorney, Ryan Thompson, based in Baton Rouge. And and momentarily, we're going to speak with, uh, stay in Louisiana, speak with Dr. V, but I apologize for, for Howard, are you still there with us in L.A.? Our screen is actually just frozen. I don't understand how it's been holding for a while. Is Howard still there?
8: Yeah, I'm still still here, Carl.
2: Yeah, do you have a question for attorney Ryan? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead.
8: Okay, I've got to apologize. You know, I'm the wake-up squad. I just woke up on here and all this stuff, and instead of shock, I said, wow. But um, I was going to ask you, what was the initial cause? I just woke up about 15, 20 minutes on here and all this. So I'm not, I'm not up to speed on it. What was the initial cause of going to people's house in the first place?
0: <laughs> and so it, it's, uh, it's always a search warrant uh, that is being executed by this street crime unit. It, it, and... Um, In executing these search warrants, what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to do a risk assessment, and that risk assessment tells uh, the officers what level of threat that the individuals who may be inside the house may pose to them. Um, I haven't seen those risk assessments yet. I just assume that anytime they're executing a search warrant uh, where there's young black males or black folks, uh, they just decide to use the military equipment that they have. Interesting enough, Carl, I want to make sure, and I, I think I forgot to, to, to mention this. The BRAVE team is, uh, the brave. The term BRAVE is not about how brave one is, not to take you to a cave to term, determine how brave you are. BRAVE stands for Baton Rouge Area Violence Elimination Initiative. And it was an initiative that was funded by the federal government to target certain zip codes to attack crime dealing with juveniles. Uh, as, in fact, there's a, a specific number of juveniles. 190 of the most violent juveniles in those zip codes. That unit or that initiative was supposed to be defunded. Uh, again, you can still go and look it up. It's on the uh, Office of Juvenile Justice's website when you Google BRAVE Initiative, Office of Juvenile Justice. That team was supposed to be disbanded, and then they, but it wasn't. It was just given a new name, which is the street Crimes unit.
2: All right, thanks, Howard. Thanks for your call. We got to run, uh, Doctor V's on on deck, and I'm sure Ryan. You know, Doctor V. So Ryan, how can folks help you though? What can you do? Can you keep us in the loop on what's going on, especially with with this uh, family that's being uh, seemingly under attack by the police there in Baton Rouge?
0: I'm gonna tell you what it is that I need, Carl. Uh, one, again, like I said, it's been and moving here to Louisiana. The state of Louisiana has done a great job of keeping information in and or out, right? Uh, they don't allow information to come in. They don't allow much information to go out. When you're talking about white supremacy, again, I'm a long-term listener of views. I've, I've, I've heard the views uh, and I, and I agree with those views of uh, the late great Frances Chris Welsing as well as her mentor who talks about the, comp- the compensatory code. Right. And so when we're dealing with white supremacy, you understand that the media uh, education, healthcare is all intertwined. It's all one system. So, How your listeners can help is that they can Google these stories. They can Google Brave Team. They can Google 11 year Old. They can Google Jeremy Lee, Turnnell Brown. And please share it amongst the network on their social media to keep this thing uh, in the the environment, uh, on the Internet, talk about it. Uh, You can also reach out to your representative at the federal level and say, are you aware that um, citizens in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, are being treated like uh, enemy combatants, threats, insurgents. The more immediate thing that I – I mean, on top of that, I also need is that what I did not mention, Carl, is that under Van Rouge Police Department policy, when you destroy someone's home like that, you're supposed to secure it. They did not secure it, and that family was subsequently burglarized. They lost their televisions, they lost their PlayStation, and their clothes. So I'm going to give my email out. My email is rktsocialjustice at gmail.com. Again, it's rktsocialjustice at gmail.com. I can also be found on Instagram at Ryan Keith Thompson. I can also be found on Twitter at rthompson1911. Uh, I've been trying to get someone to replace the things that this family has lost. Uh, As a lawyer, uh, understanding the ethics uh, that I'm bound by certain ethical rules and things like that, and I don't want the appearance of impropriety, uh, I've been limited in what I can do for this family. Uh, and so I'm asking the public if they're, if they're interested, if any listeners are willing to help me uh, replace the things that they lost, I, I can really use the help. The family that had their home destroyed, that was repaired. I got that taken care of through a nonprofit organization and through the help of one of the council members here. But this family still has not been made whole
2: yet. All right, and well, thank you for sharing that information. And folks out there, if you know what to do, if you can help, uh, attorney Ryan Thompson help this family. And and Ryan, keep us in the loop because we want to know what happens. This obviously, this story is not over.
0: It, it's far from over. We're just at the tipping point. Uh, we haven't even entered in the deposition yet. Again, the most the, the city has filed a motion to dismiss the claims on the basis that uh, the strip searches that occurred there were, were constitutional. Uh, so, yeah, we're just at the early stages of this fight, uh, and I definitely keep in loop. Uh, and yes, I'm aware of Dr. V. That's exactly how I ended up on your show. So, good morning to Dr. V, and thank you for all that you've done,
2: Sister. All righty. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, sir. All right, 6-7 the time of the hour. Dr. Velma Bose. good morning. Welcome back to the program.
9: Good morning to you, and thank you for the invitation.
2: Oh, we have to, you know, and Ryan said good morning, so I'll let you tell Ryan good morning.
9: <laughs> good morning, Ryan. Uh, good to hear your voice.
2: All right. Let's get started because it's, it's been a minute since we've had you on, but you've, you've made a trip to the United Nations. Right. Uh, hopefully, uh, tell us about that trip.
9: Okay. Um, it's an interesting dynamic, but the, tell you about the trip. May 30th through June 3rd, I was in New York City at the United Nations because they were recognizing the Second Annual uh, Permanent Forum on People of African Descent. Now, this was on their agenda to welcome (laughs) the diaspora, as we refer to them. And the reason I chuckle, there were over 1,500 people who came to New York from all over the world. We're talking South America, the continent of Africa, Canada, the Caribbean, And there was a lot of uh, Brazilians, you may or may not know the second largest black population on the earth is in Brazil, first being in Africa. Well, I didn't know that until I met my Brazilian cousins. Um, It was a very, I should start to say, it was a very honorable visit. I felt very honored to been able to break through all of the (laughs) requirements to get the acceptance because it's not a simple thing. You don't just fly to New York and walk in. They have a number of screening processes uh, that you have to submit, one of which involves artificial intelligence. And we talked just very briefly about my concern over that requirement, Uh, but to stay on task, what i was pleased with to do was to be in the grand session that's the major room where i think it's 119 countries were present and it's a an austere environment you know you have the panel that's high two or three floors up looking down at you you know i think makes me think of mount olympia that you're you got the gods up there and then you have another deck of people Uh, And at the very top of the translators that they had a number of people speaking, I think there were five languages, but here's the thing, Carl, and just listening to what Ryan had to say, of all the translators, they did not have a single Portuguese translator. Now, you heard me say the second biggest group of black people on this earth are from Portugal. So, there was a number of complaints lodged for that, and I don't think it was an oversight. So there was uh, some difficulty of a very large group not understanding what was being said and a lot of back and forth, and they kept the Olympia panel, (laughs) uh, said, oh, we're so sorry. Uh, And they had, you know, the French and the German and the Spanish and so forth. But that was one of the caveats. There's always like a hiccup in a system when something is for us, at least that's my opinion. Uh, What I, let me highlight the beauty one of my African nations, I'm thinking it was Ghana, but I'm not sure. In the opening ceremony, Carl, they had their dancers. And I'm gonna tell you, it took my breath away. Uh, These dancers came in, there were drummers, uh, my women with their beautiful Afrocentric bodies. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you look at the thighs on these women and men, for that matter, and they were dressed in traditional garb. Unfortunately, I don't speak Kiswahili, not well enough to know what all was being said. But they came in and they were doing somersaults and they were doing the, the gyrations and the drama. And you know what? It was not even filmed. The United Nation cameras shut their videos off during the, uh, what we would say, opening performance uh, from the uh, African continent. I mean, it broke my heart because I requested a video or something that said, oh, that wasn't filmed. They said it was an unorthodox presentation as an opening of ceremony, and the videographers did not record it. So (laughs) when you look at our slides, they come in all kinds of forms. But I'm here to tell you that for about three and a half minutes, maybe longer, uh, when it first started, you didn't know what you were hearing because the drums were goat skin drums. It had the different kinds where you have the almost a roaring sound and then the, the very tympanic sound. And when the dancers came, they came out as if they were martial artists. That's the only way I can imagine. They were coming up with such force. And their body's movement was was with such energy. Uh, So I was very proud of that presentation and that opening, although it is not conserved for history since nobody videoed it, at least not officially. Uh, So being in the Grand Assembly was very exciting. It was wonderful. Now, let me tell you the undercover stuff. Out of 119 nations, we had Germany, of course, and Japan, and Greece, and all the different major hitters that were present for this general session. uh, uh, The ones who were members had a chance to do an opening comment. I was in a group they called the civil society group. So, you know, I don't represent a country, but I was with a group of civil society. And as each nation spoke, they could say whatever they want. You know, they didn't just want to say here or present. And I was very moved by Ghana, who said, um, we, the leaders of Ghana, during the days that the, my black reverends were taken from our continent, had to be complicit with the colonial persons. And for that, we apologized. And I said, wow, look at here, look at here, take me back. And he says, to show you. My diasporic brethren, how we feel, we offer you a reunion that if you come back to Ghana, they have some, uh, I don't know, a DNA testing that you would take that if you have, I don't know what the score, I think they said 26%, um, you can then apply for tribal land in Ghana. So your listeners may want to perk up. If you have reason to know by your 23andMe or Ancestry.com that you have what they call Ghanaian or African uh, heritage in your genetics, and you're interested, Ghana has opened the door for diaspora to come home. So that was their opening comment, which I thought was very impressive. Uh, We heard from Japan, and I was a little bit moved that Japan, which, you know, has sort of a harsh reputation when it looks at Korea and other Asian countries, they were very open in their admission of saying that the injustices and travesties against people, as they said, people of color across the earth. And I'm saying, come on, keep talking. So you listen to all of these comments where there is first acknowledgement that yes, there was wrong done. And then there's validation. Yes, you were injured by that wrong them were offering some reparation or come home and claim your tribal land. When it came to our United States of America to comment, Carl, they said, we cede our time.
2: Did you hear what I said? Wow. Oh, oh, yeah, hold that thought right there. <laughs> just drop with a thud. I'll let you re- pick it up when we get back. we got to take a quick break. It's 14 yeah, after yeah. the top of the hour. With Dr. V, you'd like to speak to Dr. V, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. She's also going to give us an update on, on those folks who have taken the jab. Remember that the last time we were talking about people taking by the jab? Well, she's got some important information she wants to share with us, and we'll do that in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power and thanks for rolling with us family 21 minutes after the top of hour I guess it's Dr. V, Dr. Velva Bowles she's a physician scientist and the last time we left before the break we were at the United Nations so Dr. V, I'll let you pick it up from there (laughs)
9: Well, um, I was saying how austere an experience it was to be there, and certainly I was honored. But I'd be remiss not to let you know that being in New York, I experienced the Manhattan police and United Nations security. Um, I think, as I'm sure that uh, Ryan mentioned, there must be a belief among the police and here in the United States that being black means a threat to America. The way in which the security behaved towards the over a 1,000 persons who had come by invitation and with scrutiny to the United Nations, in my opinion, was appalling. Um, I spoke up twice, and I jokingly said I might need to call someone if I need them to bond me out. Uh, I asked one of the security guards, who actually stood on the steps with his hand on the butt of his gun, Uh, and ordered those of us who came up to enter with our ID in place to line up against the wall that we were not uh, allowed to enter as others were. Uh, If you have ever been to the New York, uh, was it number one square, there's a very large entry with four or five doors. We were not uh, allowed to enter at our leisure with our ID. We were lined up against the wall, made to stand and wait. And this one guy said, "You're not. Your permit lets you in at 9 a.m. and it's 8:57." <laughs> and I remember without even thinking, going up and asking him, "Are you hired by the United Nations?" I said, "Because your behavior is anything but welcoming to foreign guests." Well, they didn't expect that, I'm sure. And a second officer came. He was a white fellow. The one I was talking to was black. I guess they associate if you have a black tyrant is better than having a white one. Well, the young white male came out, and I said, "Who's the supervisor? Who's in charge? This is ridiculous." I said, "There is no reason." I mean, our line stretched a quarter of a. I mean, all, I'm sure a quarter of a mile. It was all around the block. We were over a thousand people. Now we had been vetted and issued. Um, our permission entry uh, badges, and that, that took us over an hour because we had to get it at a different building. So, we had been up since like 5.30 in the morning. We'd gone through the first line, uh, and in May, it was chilly in New York. So, some of the people coming out of the Caribbean and other places were not accustomed to the cold. And then what was the straw that made me almost get arrested? It was a lady, a black female, walking with a walker and she was helping herself up the stairs. There was no assistance. And when she got second from the top, a burly officer said to her, you got to go back down and go get in line. <laughs> and I went to him and I said, no, 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 no. you do not have a handicap rip, and you are going to direct this person to go back down the stairs. So, I stood there with him <laughs> arguing and they sent a black female out Um, And when I addressed her and I wanted a badge number, she kept saying, it's not really necessary for us to have this confusion. I said, you're absolutely right. Why don't you open the other four double doors and let my people in the building? I said, we have there's a lounge. You need to know how it's set up. There's a lounge. Then there's an airport-like security you have to go through, and then you go into the grounds of the United Nations. So they were stopping us. The Permanent Forum of People of African Descent did do a formal complaint of that treatment, and we thought it was unnecessary force shown to the persons. We complained because there was no Portuguese made available uh, for translation of this very large group that had come. So it is live and well that it appears when it has something to do with people of color, uh, there is a lot of sloppiness. Uh, but two things just for the listeners. If you haven't heard of the Durban Declaration and Program of Action, Durban, D-U-R-B-A-N, that is something that was adopted by the United Nations that acknowledges and validates that colonialism and the kidnapping, that's the language they use, of people from the continent of Africa and the distribution of those victims, that's the language they use, uh, all over the world. Um, so, the Durban Declaration was adopted, but we've had no action on it. So, those who are not familiar with the Durban Declaration, please check it. Uh, I've heard of uh, the big push is global reparation. Uh, I mentioned to you that Ghana has opened its country doors for the diaspora. Is that type of reparation that the Durban addresses, the return to homeland. I mean, you listen to... President Biden talking about going back to Ireland, his ancestral homeland, while many of us don't even know where our ancestral homeland is. So, if they are looking for diversity and equity and inclusion, they need to wake up and let and know we are people of the earth and we actually are dominant. I mean, it really hurts me to hear minority refer to black people. We are not the minority on the earth. We're the majority. But
2: unfortunately, so we black folks accept it. We accept it. We use their language. Right. So, uh, hold on, uh, I thought right there, Doctor V. Haki in Baltimore has a question for you. He's on line one. Haki, you're on with Doctor V.
4: McDonald's is not new to chicken,
2: so maybe stop
4: questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh,
8: Dr. V. Um, thank you, Carl. I was uh, actually there at the uh, Permanent Forum uh, in New York. Um, uh, yes, I, I appreciate this overview because I literally stayed in the line from eight thirty, eight a.m. till uh, you know it was like twelve. I mean, and honestly, I didn't, I didn't get in um, until Dr. Beryl Beekman, who actually spoke. She like intervened because I had to carry her things to record her. Um, but yeah, so so I appreciate you know someone like taking action. I mean, it's my first time. Uh, you know, being present there um, and, as many others. And, but, you know, I, and, and there was a lot of people and I'm just like, is this like a regular thing? You know, so, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, they act like they, they didn't know that people were coming. Like, I mean, the the, the, the the line, I mean, it was just ridiculous. And I mean, pe- how can you expect people to wait four and five hours? I mean, there were elders in line. I was really? like, wow, this is like, I mean, you, you don't expect this out of, you know, a, a group that know that a permanent form that hundreds, and you said one, so hundred, 1,500? Yeah, fifty yeah. twelve to
9: 1,500 people.
8: Well, no, so I, yeah, so I didn't, you know, I read the, the report after, but but I appreciate hearing uh uh much of your details and so i'm looking forward i believe uh geneva is is the next one is that correct will you be yes. the third okay. uh was in, in geneva yes okay. yes 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 so but thank you carl and i appreciate uh elder and um i want to you know follow up with you carl so let's i'll get her contact information if i can uh you know okay. just to keep keep building the process thank you thank you mama and i appreciate your work thank you uh, I,
2: uh, thank you, Haki, and Doctor V. Uh, Thirty minutes have the time. There, let's talk about the people who took the uh, uh, the jab, as they call it, because there've been some developments. Yeah.
9: Well, we're now Share four and a half years out because most people don't know it was December two thousand nineteen that this news first came out. We're now, well, look at it, almost the end of February twenty twenty four. The first thing, just to refresh some of the listeners. I never accepted that with what Pfizer and Moderna and J&J called a vaccine, I kept saying it's an inoculum. And some didn't understand why I didn't call it a vaccine. And the bottom line is it did not meet the medical nor scientific criteria to be called a vaccine. The definition of vaccine is you take part of the offending agent, whether it's a virus, bacteria, parasite, and you introduce it safely into a person. And what I mean by safely is you attenuate, which means put it to sleep or you kill it. You just use the debris instead of a live, active virus or bacteria. And your body knows what to do when you introduce something foreign. And that's what constitutes vaccine. I introduce a safe form of the offender and let your body rev up. So when the live offender is available and comes to you, you already have force against it. That's the whole intent of vaccine. What's the issue with what happened uh, January 2020 and forward is that everything that was injected in the deltoid was made in a lab. Nothing came out of the offending agent. You heard me right. Message RNA was synthesized in a lab, put into the injectable fluid, and put into humans. It was the biggest experiment known to man on the earth. I repeat, the biggest experiment known to man to date. No one has sufficient data that they could answer the usual scientific questions asked when you use something on humans. That's why we do rats or mice and then sometimes monkeys or dogs and then we get to humans because we want to answer the hard questions on primates and other animal species before we get to uh, to humans and that's necessary. Anyone who has ever gotten an advanced degree, whether it's an MD or a PhD or anything in research or masters, the if you're a committee who will grant you the degree, whatever university, Harvard, uh, HBCUs, Howard, before the person can get that degree granted by an examining committee, if the committee is worth their salt, the question will be, did you accomplish your hypothesis? That's the big question and you proved that you did. But the last question to me that Dr. Bowles always asks on anybody's committee is, what else can it do? If you do not look at the alternative possibilities, you are blind. Just because you prove that it went from A to Z doesn't mean that some of it can take a detour and do some harm. And what happened in the inoculum is they rushed to give it to people, but no one said, what if what you predict, that it will build up your immune system and you can fight COVID, what if it does something else? No one looked at that. And now they're answering that question of what is the something else. You ready, Carl? They have found.
2: I tell you what, hold that thought right there. Hold that thought right there, <laughs> Dr. V. we got to take a short break. I want you. to I wanna break your rhythm now because I think the listeners <laughs> need to know what you're about to tell them. So we're going to take the break and we come back and I'll let you hit them up with that. Family, you got a question about this? Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. We'll take your calls in four minutes with Dr. V right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, Or information is power.